This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. All right, Mr. Bain, here we are, episode 75. Damn, close to 100 total, man. I believe we're at 20 interviews yeah. and 75 topical episodes. I believe so. So we are getting there, Mr. Bain. Today we are going to talk about transitioning Ooh. from raw to equipped. It's ma'am. And uh, <laughs> so we've actually got uh, a special guest that will be coming up, Mr. Bob Merck. Oh, one of my favorites. That... Uh, he and Bain are going to talk about actually transitioning from Rod Equipped. I never, I never really transitioned because I was always equipped. Yeah, you just, you, I just you transitioned from non-competitor to competitor, basically. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, just, I just love that the bromance continues. Excellent. And I'm even growing a beard, too. Not, I, see, I see that. Not quite to the level of a Bain or, or Bob Merck, but I'm also not their size either. So I guess that makes sense. Girth. Uh, let's tie up some loose ends mm-hmm. before we get into the topic at hand. Um I have heard from a number of people, and I believe this is how Ernie Franz told it as well, is that mm. supposedly at that greatest bench in America meet. The, the, he, the, he was the one deadlifter? Well, he was the one deadlifter, John Enzer, that supposedly the bar was already loaded, and it was like in a box, and they like rolled it out, he did his attempt, and they rolled it back in. Now, the only thing is he did, at least according to open powerlifting, he did two attempts. So did they have two separate bars loaded, or did they have it already loaded with 700 and then just added more to make it uh, 780. You know, it'd be great to ask John Enzer that if he would ever answer I, the phone. He, oh my, John Enzer, you have an open invitation. I will. I know that he is often a night owl, so if he wants to talk like at two in the morning, Dude, I, I will drive down here to Strength and Anger Studios and yeah. let's get it in. We we will anytime a day night you want to talk, John Enzer. We can talk about anything you want. Yep, we'll give you as much time as you want. Absolutely. Um, sounds like you've gotten some DMs, Mr. Bain. Yeah, a lot of renewed interest. Uh, and I say renewed only because a lot of folks have been interested in the interviews uh, that we've been doing. and But a lot of renewed interest in, in the histories of, of various pieces of equipment and, and just of the sport in general. Uh, I think there, there's been a lot of folks that are starting to dive into uh, where powerlifting came from. They're seeing some of these elite athletes, and we'll talk about this a little bit. That are you know doing both raw and equipped, and they're trying to understand what this multiply thing is. There are folks that are uh, not quite to the point of ply curious, though I think they're getting there. Uh, and and a lot of folks just like hearing about kind of the old days of you know very minimal federations and some of these crazy weights that we look at now almost uh, as the norm. But really, these are like the people who broke through a lot of the barriers, the four-digit barrier uh, on the squat, and you know the first six, seven, eight hundred pounds. So, folks like hearing about that and some of the uh, the stories behind that. I think we the positive with today is we have a lot better record keeping versus uh, previously. Uh, but yeah, I think a lot of folks are really just enjoying hearing about all that. So, and yeah, b- big big piece uh, here that you're about to go through, Eric. Yeah, I mean, it, we are now the one year anniversary. We've just passed it of. Ernie Franz passing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you are interested in learning more about Ernie Franz and the history of the APF and the history of powerlifting, really, I mean, we've got a number of episodes in our archives. Um, we've got the Franz versus USPF lawsuit episode. We've got the uh, USPF IPF. We've got the Enzer versus Franz episode. Um, we've got the second part of the gear book, which is basically focused on the book within the book of the history of multiply by Eric Marosher, which was kind of a 
you know, a history of Multiply and how it relates to Ernie Franz and Franz Jim. Mm-hmm. And then we had the Ernie Franz tribute episode with myself and Jackie Stone where we basically just reminisced for an hour or so about our days at Franz Jim and turning on the Franz team. Mm-hmm. And I know it has been a year, and I, I, we can there, there's certainly topics we can continue to dive into with Ernie, and we still – you know, we still have some some interviews and other things planned to continue um, passing down that legacy of Ernie Franz, Franz Jim, and everything he did for the sport. Absolutely, absolutely. But with that, Stone, what's going on? Um, I'll let you start, Mr. Bain, oh, since yeah. Bain's first in the alphabet. I am. Uh, prepping for Vegas next week. Actually prepping for a lot of trips work-related. Uh, in the next six weeks, I'm going to Las Vegas twice. I was invited because our CEO and our VP of sales couldn't go to a mastermind on Super Bowl weekend in Vegas. Uh, so I'm actually really excited to see a massive sporting event in, in Las Vegas. When uh, is the Super Bowl this year? It is Valentine's Day weekend, actually. Oh, that's right, because it, it is typically my birthday weekend. My birthday uh-huh. is the 9th of February, so yep. it's it's typically around that, normally before. But I think since they added the extra game to the regular season, um, they added a Week 18, 17th game, so it's yep. been pushed back a week. Yeah, yeah. But, no, I'm, I'm excited to go out there for that. and uh, r- Really cool. Like It's going to be uh, – a group of about 70, uh, basically C-suite level uh, transportation type folks. So, you know, my, my people on the professional side, uh, all just kind of masterminding. Uh, I'll, I, my gut is always playing caddy for the golf because I don't do the golfing. Uh, so I'll have some fun with that. But, no, I'm really excited to do that. And then our uh, company holiday trip is going to be to Mexico this year. They're flying the whole company down to, to Cabo. Wow. Uh, yeah, so for like three and a half days of uh, work hard, play hard is what our CEO has told us. So. Uh, and right now I'm just kind of fucking around having fun with training. Like, uh, next meet is more than likely, it's like high 90% going to be APF nationals here at 2XL. Uh, just kind of taking the, the easy route there because it'll be close. Would also potentially qualify me for, uh, WPC worlds, uh, which was just announced down in Florida, uh, in November. So, oh, did they announce the specific day, uh, specific dates and locations, uh, this morning? Yes. Claudia oh. and Sean did. Oh, uh, I did not see that. I yeah. will have to check that out. And I literally tagged the APF <laughs> Instagram page. Well, you know, I don't check. <laughs> I know I, I do. If you didn't know, I manage the APF Instagram page. So I will check that out. I, I haven't been on my phone since this morning for the most part, at least on the gram. Oh, I must have been really busy. Like, is, is it hard being so busy? Yeah, it is. Oh, um, so I will, I will check that out, and I'll make sure to repost that on the APF Instagram and Facebook. Perfect. Uh, so for me, Mr. Bain, um, yeah. you know, both Jacob and Alice, both my kids have been in wrestling. Mm-hmm. Um, I, actually, my daughter's doing really well. Um, you know, she's at an age where there's probably less competition, but um, took second in a tournament. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and mm-hmm. they both have another tournament this weekend. My son is doing better. I mean, he's at an age where it's like, it's kind of like, you know, you've got those kids that have been wrestling already for five years by the yep. time they're like nine, ten years old. Yep. So he, and he's, you know, not a small, super small kid. So he's in kind of those middleweight, heavyweight category where there's some, some tough competition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so tough, but he has improved from the, the, uh, the tournaments I've seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we finally had our quote Christmas with my wife's family two, three weeks later, since we could not due to the Rona, the COVID Christmas. So, yep. We had a, a January COVID Christmas. Nice. Um, I guess maybe it's kind of like the time, isn't it supposedly the story that the, like the three wise men actually came. It was like three, four weeks later is when they actually came and visited Jesus in, uh, in the manger, I believe somewhere around there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Church Somebody church. with good church history can. Uh, yeah, can that's that's definitely that. not not my not my deal anymore. So. Well, Mr. Bain, let's move on to our new segment. Let's well, go, Brandon. We still don't have a good sound drop for that. No, um, we don't. We'll find one. If anybody has one, 
Um, like it's more like a soundboard. Like a YouTube video doesn't do well because yeah, it just there's ads and there's, other silly shit. Yeah, so if you've got a good soundboard of Let's Go Brandon, mm-hmm. um, we would love that. But uh, what is going on, Mister Bain? What what's your Brandon topic of the day? So. Uh, gonna explain this. I don't think I did it on the last episode, so I'm gonna be very. I want to be very clear, and to be honest, I'm gonna keep talking about this because I feel like it's gonna happen. Uh, so, weed beats the Rona. There have been studies that are beginning to show that cannabinoid uh, cannabinoids are inhibiting COVID's ability to enter human cells. So, one when you we all know why Snoop didn't get it now. Uh, so that's one thing, but also interesting. Pfizer just bought a weed company for $6.7 billion. So isn't it weird that now we're being told that weed possibly beats the Rona? So for those who don't know my Memorial Day theory, I'm going to go ahead and uh, present it here and and do a little more detail. Again, if I've done this already, uh, I I kind of apologize, but I don't actually. So we've been in the the Rona here for for two years. I know there's some folks who don't necessarily like hearing about it on the show. This isn't to politicize it. This is simply just my, my educated guess on this. We're starting to hear about different things tapering off. We're hearing about countries re- reducing restrictions. In some cases, like in Australia, they're literally just letting it rip, uh, which is also very interesting. But now we've got all these different things that are saying – we have studies from the University of Bristol saying that COVID dies within five minutes when it's in the air. Uh, we have the uh, talks that weed actually uh, beats the Rona and prevents it from entering human cells. Uh, we've already got the uh, CEO of Pfizer talking about that – this winter will be the last winter we have to deal with COVID as far as from a pandemic perspective. We'll just be living with it. So that goes back to way back in 2020 when I said we will come to a time when we live in just uh, cold corona and flu season. We are, we are coming to that, it sounds like. But here's what I'm looking at. Because <clears throat> right now, this administration does have the lowest rating uh, they've ever had and one of the lowest ones that's ever been had by a presidency. This midterm elections are coming up. And again, this is political, but it, just reading the landscape here. All these different things are beginning to happen. Hospitals no longer have to report cases. It's simply uh, uh, ventilators and deaths uh, to the CDC, and they don't actually have to. It's just recommended they do. So we're starting to taper this off. And so what we're going to have is the first red, white, and blue holiday in the spring, which also coincides with most folks' uh, kids getting out of school, is going to be Memorial Day. And so my guess is somewhere around the middle of May, we're going to hear we've beaten the Rona. Our plan has worked. Enjoy Memorial Day, mask-free, no worries, no more vaccine cards uh, presented to go places, and don't forget to vote for us in November. So I believe that that is, that is my timeline, and I'm sticking to that. Now, I could be wrong, but if I'm right, I want apologies from all those who said that we were crazy back in April of 2020. So, Stone, what's your let's go Brandon moment? Well, I hate to, I hate to keep on the COVID topic and if you don't want to hear about covid just hit that like fast forward button on your on your uh on your iphone or your maybe we should put like a show notes thing like hey our let's go brandon segment is exclusively politically focused so from minute six till minute 11 just don't fucking listen yeah i get it but and i don't actually believe this is political at all no um, this is super interesting i mean the person who's involved joe rogan who of the joe rogan podcast mm-hmm. of which i'm i'm not a regular listener i'm an occasional listener I'll catch the clips on YouTube. Um, there are certain episodes that interest me. I mean, he has like a, a five-hour episode every day. So, yeah. I mean, unless you're s- sitting there listening to a podcast all day, every day, it'd be hard to keep up. Um, but he recently had on a medical doctor who I believe was one of the inventors or helped with the invention of the mRNA technology that is being used in in the vaccines in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's claimed to have invented the vaccines. I think 
What his claim is that... He, he has the baseline technology is what he worked yeah, on. He yeah, he worked on the mRNA technology. And as I understand it from a few people I've talked to in that industry, they've been kind of messing around This is with this mRNA technology for a while, looking for a place that it would make sense to use it in. It's nothing... It wasn't brand new when they made these vaccines. Right. Like mRNA technology. And I, I wouldn't even pretend to indicate that I actually understand everything that's going on there. Um, but he was on the Joe Rogan experience, and apparently he'd already been banned by Twitter. Jesus. And there is now a petition by Dude, two- how, how does Twitter allow people to say all these horrible things? They bu- like Twitter and other social media, they bully kids. They do these terrible things in DMs. And then if you go against the grain, oh, wait, I know why. Because it doesn't fit the narrative. So then they get fucking banned. And this is a guy that's, and as I believe. He has the credentials too. As I understand it, he's not even an anti-vaxxer. I think he said he's taken the vaccine. He just, he said, I'm not sure about with children. I don't think they're selling it the right way. I don't, you know, you can listen to Joe Rogan's podcast because that's not really the point of my, my segment. The point is that now there's 270 quote doctors (laughs) that have signed a petition to have Spotify, to have Joe Rogan stop promoting quote, COVID lies. Fuck out of here. And you might think 270 medical doctors, and even if that was the case, I don't think that would have validity, but no, the vast majority of these 270 individuals are not medical doctors. The most of them are professors, PhDs, dentists, physician's assistants. So these aren't 270 medical doctors. You are fake news. A hundred percent. This pe- <laughs> that, that petition is a hundred percent. Oh, I, sorry. One more. It's a disgrace what took place. I like that a little. <laughs> so let's move on. We said enough about COVID, yes, yes. Mr. Bain. 40, uh, 45, dropping bars. Uh, the hot topic of the day, and actually we are going to spend some more time talking about this because we've got much more we can dive into. Oh, yeah, I do. <laughs> but just a, just a teaser this week. Yep. Um, so the, the usual is when you see an equip lifter do a big lift mm-hmm. on the Instagrams or the Facebooks, you'll often see lifters, even power lifters say, well, what can he do raw? Mm-hmm. Is it? Uh, what's the word that you used earlier, Mr. Bain? So the question I asked, and I did, I did a poll on this, and we'll share all this when we do the episode, but I'll get a little detail is, is it? divisive or unreasonable for lifters to ask raw lifters, what could you do equipped? And the reason why I asked that is because that actually stemmed from a conversation I had with a listener, Sean Deal. And Sean and I actually had a a conversation via Zoom. He's a a missionary in Uganda, which I think is really cool. So we got to do uh, the Zoom call across oceans. And, And we talked about this. He actually had someone say, this is divisive and you shouldn't be doing that as a Christian. And I said, you know, one, why does someone feel that way like i mean this is a legitimate question uh, that should be asked um so i took it to the streets and i said hey like what what do people think and i got a lot of really interesting responses and and in, and in my case again what, what i'm going to do is i i've been pulling all these dms i actually got uh did the final count 123 dms uh people wow. explaining their answers to me uh and we're not talking about dick pic dms no i got a bunch of those too but that is totally different oh um, sure yeah uh whole, whole different thing there only bears <clears throat> but i swipe th- up yeah, so there's a huge conversation to have here because then it, be, it becomes a circular argument of, well, I don't want to do that. Well, exactly. Like, you're literally answering the question, like, I don't know what I'd do raw, or someone doesn't know what they do. Like, Dave Hoff doesn't know what he would do raw in a competition because it's not how he wants to compete. But for me, one of the reasons why this is important is because I believe it plants the seed. And the reason I say that is because it's exactly what was done to me. 
when I saw equipped lifters, now I also had the open mind, like, oh, like, this is cool. Like, what's going on here? Explain this to me because it is different than what I do. And then it was explained, and then I was asked a question, well, do you, what do you think you would do? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, it sounds cool uh, because I also like the extreme side of the sport. So to me, that's why it's an important conversation, and we're going to go a lot more into that uh, with the next episode. But, uh, Stone, what, what do you think? I mean, is, is this a good question? Is it divisive? Is it unreasonable? Oh, I think it's a totally fair question. I mean, if you're going to ask me what can I do in a way that I typically don't compete, again, I've never competed raw full power. I've done one push-pull raw. And one, and you know, I don't think benching, benching raw is that big of a deal. Uh, most people can still take a bar to their chest and bench it. I actually didn't deadlift sumo because I don't ask that guy who was commenting on Timor's post the other day. Yeah, I guess fucking asshat. Yeah, um, but yeah, like I didn't even I did the deadlift conventional because deadlifting raw sumo is just very difficult on my hips. And so I just, ah, I'll just take this as a turning cycle and see what I can do raw conventional. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it's, I think it's a fair question. And if you're going to ask me, what can I do in the way that I don't compete? Why can't I ask you what you could do in the way you don't, you don't normally compete? Well, I don't want to do that. So no, okay. I don't want to compete raw. I definitely don't want to well, squat why, raw. Why are you wrong? Yeah. Um, and that <laughs> we go into that very question with Mr. Bob Merck, but we are going to, uh, but, but let's move on, Mr. Bain. Let's move on to our Plusa throwback, 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 throwback. This is honestly probably one of the more interesting Plusas that I've pulled. And again, it's, it's almost always random. I just find, uh, if anybody's really interested, I found a website with PDFs of, I'd say 90 to 95% of the powerlifting USAs. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I do have a bunch of physical copies of powerlifting USAs, but I find it easier to go through a PDF because then I can pull pictures from there. Um, I can look at it on my second screen while I'm doing the notes. On Let's the call it what screen. it is. You, you actually made these PDFs because you're a digital hoarder and you literally have all these magazines. <laughs> that's, that's what you've done, Eric. I, I wish I had the time to do that, but I do not. Um, <laughs> oh, you must be very busy running your small business. Got it. So <laughs> this is from July 1990. <laughs> Jesus. Before we go into the issue, Mr. Bain, what were you doing in July 1990? Uh, this would have been the summer after third grade. Uh, and it was, we were going, so we used to take an annual vacation to either Nags Head or Top Sail Beach in North Carolina every year. So when I lived in Virginia, it's normally around a six to seven hour drive, uh, from the DC area down to, uh, to the North Carolina coast. For whatever reason, we left at like three thirty or four o'clock on a Friday. And for anybody that knows the DC area, uh, 66 and the Beltway, which goes around D.C., we had to be on there for about four miles to get to our connecting uh, road, I believe it was uh, 95, that took us down to Richmond. And there were like four accidents. And just to get from our house to 95, normally would take about 20 minutes, took us almost three hours. Yikes. Then we get to Richmond, and almost the exact same situation has happened where there were like a dozen accidents around the major highways in Richmond on this Friday. I don't know what the hell it was. It was in something in the water. Just getting through Richmond took us another three and a half hours. We find out as we get to the North Carolina-Virginia border that, uh, unfortunately, this is pretty tragic, that a young girl had been kidnapped. And so they were stopping cars on the highway and searching for, for this young girl because uh, it was right around the border. And so... That checkpoint where we were coming through on 95 uh, was another two-hour delay for us getting there. So, I mean, we should have been, you know, five, six, seven hours prior uh, to get to the beach. We finally get to the house where our family had rented it, and my grandmother is sitting outside, and we're like, Grandma, what's going on? 
because the person that was supposed to be giving us the keys to the houses way before Airbnb or anything like that uh, was also stuck in this traffic and did not get there until almost four in the morning. Yikes. Yeah, it was just it was really fucking rough. So how long did how long would it have normally taken to make that drive? About six hours. And how long did it actually take? Uh, I believe the final count was twelve hours, fifteen minutes. Whew. Yeah. Man. It was, it Do you was guys rough. have some potty breaks in there? Oh yeah, we had plenty of potty breaks in. One, like we were like my sisters and I had to go and we're waiting for this checkpoint. And so like I got out of the car and I told we were close enough to the police officer that they could see me and I just yelled, you know, I'm eight nine years old i have to pee <laughs> so what like, are they gonna say yeah well yeah the guy's like get back in your car i'm like fuck you <laughs> I got pissed, man. so i ran to the side of the road cars are honking at me as i'm peeing i'm like whatever but yeah that was uh that was it but but that ended up being one of the funnest trips we ever had down there uh so we ended up staying a couple extra days because all the craziness and uh yeah thoroughly uh thoroughly enjoyed that beach trip so stone what were we up to um this would have been for me the summer after second grade mm-hmm. Um, I was probably still playing baseball, of which I was terrible, but I did enjoy baseball. I liked being on the baseball team. I just was no good. So Fair. Uh, and nobody cares about baseball. So Yeah. I mean, I, I, I like baseball as a sport in person. I, I, it's very difficult for me to watch it on TV. Um, but what was going on in the world in July 1990? A lot of shit was going on in the world. <laughs> um, Russian president Boris Yeltsin quit the Soviet, Soviet Communist Party. Um, Pete Rose was sentenced to five months in prison for tax evasion. I'm not sure how long he actually served. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think very long. I don't think so. President George H.W. Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Act. Quite a very, very important landmark piece of legislation. Um, top summer 1990 movies. We had Ghost. Total, nice. total Recall. Seen it. Die Hard 2. Seen it. Dick Tracy. Eh, seen it. Back to the Future 3. Seen all those stuff for Ghost. I th- uh, you've not seen Ghost? No. I'm, I'm shocked that uh, Nikki Main hasn't had you watch that. And, uh, it's, I mean, it's a chick flick. Yeah. It's not bad. It's, I would say it's not a bad movie. It, Whoopi Goldberg, probably one of her better roles. Mm-hmm. Um, top TV shows. Uh, and, and this is just overall 1990. Mm-hmm. Number one, Cheers. Number two, 60 Minutes. Number three, Roseanne. Mm-hmm. Number four, A Different World. Number five, The Cosby Show. Yikes. And if you're not familiar, A Different World was basically a offshoot from The Cosby Show. It was basically like the college you know, version of The Cosby Show with mm-hmm. some of the same characters. Yep. Um, and Cosby Show, A Different World, any variants? I don't think any of them are showed on TV anymore anywhere. Uh, no, especially The Cosby Show. Especially because I liked The Cosby Show as a kid. Um, good show. It, it was just, you know, fucked up dude. Yep. On the cover of this July 1990 Powerlifting USA is Dave Passanella. And the picture is actually from the 1988 mm-hmm. Hawaii Record Breakers, which they said was one of his best meets. Um, the interview and cover was pre-planned, but tragically, on June 12th, 1990, Dave Passanella was killed in a car accident. Damn, my wife's So <laughs> just basically as this issue is probably going to press. Yeah, damn. Wow. And they probably had to, you know, kind of quickly scramble and put put this little, uh, yeah, little asterisk here. You know, put the asterisk and change the interview. There was an interview there with, uh, one, I believe, one of his students. Mm-hmm. He was, at the time, uh, he, let me see, make sure I can get this correctly, um, he was the director of player development at Georgia Tech University. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that means he was a strength coach or if he was more of a recruiter. I- I'm not sure. It doesn't say strength coach. Um, it says he was a 
pretty prolific college football player and college football coach. So, so. Usually directors of player development are usually focused around making sure the guys don't fuck up. Uh, so a guy that I went to high school with was the director of player development at the University of Iowa after his football career and now is the director of player development uh, for the Titans. So kind of like uh, – Almost like in pro wrestling, like an agent or a bit uh, more like a mentor for like they work a lot with the rookies and a lot with the freshmen, Ah. uh, making sure they make good decisions, checking up in college, checking up on grades, uh, ensuring the guys stay eligible in the NFL. They also kind of run like the cleanup crew for one guys. Oh, that sounds like the Bears. I guess they're the Chicago Bears, including their director of player engagement. Yeah. Who is Soup Campbell, former NFL player. So engagement is around like. if I remember correctly, is and, and for those that may be around pro sports, feel free to correct me on this because, again, I'm, I'm piecing this together from uh, brief conversations over the last few years with, with his old high school classmate. Uh, engagement is more around like how they engage with the community and make hmm. sure their name is, is positive out there, and the development is going to be around just making good choices, trying to keep them on the right track financially, uh, ensuring they have the uh, NDAs uh, when they may meet a friend for the night. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Interesting. I'm sure that wasn't necessarily the case as much in 1990, but I'm sure now it is. Yeah. I, my guess is more this was around, like, grades and that kind of stuff. But Going to class. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the interview was pretty standard stuff. Um, I do know from past dealings with uh, talk with Ernie Franz that uh, Dave was basically the inventor of the first true squat bar, and it was called the Pastanella Squat Bar. There you go. Um, three days prior to his death. He had met with Ernie Franz, and he was set to assume the chairmanship of the fairly newly formed World Powerlifting Congress. Wow. And this is a man at the time who's only 28 years old. Um, his, best, uh, his best lifts in competition were a 1,030 squat and a 584-pound bench, an 854-pound deadlift, good for a 2458-pound total, and his best total had just been done the previous May in 1989. Mm-hmm. Um, it was said that in training leading into, he was training for APF Senior Nationals, he had done a 960 double, he had done a 500 bench times five, and an 830 deadlift times three in training. Wow. So he had been hitting some pretty good lifts in training. It seems like he was really kind of hitting his stride. I mean, this is a guy that had been competing for 10 years back since he was a teenager. He had actually won an IPF Junior Worlds in Germany in 1985. He had won that uh, Budweiser World Record Breakers meet in Hawaii in 1988. Wow. Um, the same year, he won the then APF Worlds. So I'm not sure exactly when they officially formed the World Powerlifting Congress. Um, I'm sure we've talked about that in previous episode. That might just been a typo when it said APF Worlds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it did definitely started as just APF, and they formed the World Powerlifting Congress. Right. Um, I guess he had been lifting 275 around this time. He said he was moving up to super heavyweight. There was no three-weight class at that point. And said, I mean, the interview, again, it talked, you know, about his training, but it said he pretty much followed a, a standard periodization type of training protocol. But um, a very historic lifter whose life was cut tragically very short. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can only think, I mean, uh, he was 28 in 1988. I mean, uh, would he still be around today? Would he still be involved in the sport? Would he still be involved in promoting the APF and WPC? I would like, I mean, as long as, you know, there hadn't been a falling out, because unfortunately that did tend to happen quite a bit. That's why we have all the feds we have today. I would you like know, to he'd probably be, if he was 28 in 1990, um, so that is almost so he, exactly so he would have been 32 six, years ago. Uh, yeah. 
So he'd have been 60. Yep. Was my math correct there? Yeah. So uh, very plausible. He very still would have been around and still involved in the sport. Yeah. Um, there was also a couple other deaths. One of note was Dr. Conrad Cotter, also a doctor. I don't know if he signed any petitions. Uh, doubt it. He probably didn't know what a podcast was. Uh, he was the former president of the USPF during that infamous Franz USPF IPS ep- IPF episode mm-hmm. um, that we talked about. Um, and uh, he was one that – the USPF won in the lawsuit against Ernie. Mm-hmm. Something Conrad Cotter said in court pissed the judge off so much that he lost the judgment he'd won and then had to pay. <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to see the court transcripts of what happened. Gosh, that, I wonder if you could even find that at this point. Like, I mean, it does – I mean, it talks about it, but it's not like a word for word. Yeah, you know, it's just yeah. the, the general notes, kind yeah. of almost the minutes. Um, there was the top 198s from May 89 to April 90. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got G. Herring, top of the squat with 830. Uh, G. Bryant, 804. P. Person, 804. Jesse Kellum, a guy we talk about quite a bit, later lifting the WPO, 800. Rob Wagner, 760. Over on the bench, B. Seibold with a 573-pound bench. Chris Confessor, who I believe is a Westside guy. Westside. 565. A. Surrogate with a 560 bench. A. Yearby, 525. And J. Graham, it might be Johnny Graham, USAPL famous promoter of that uh, IPF for All Worlds mm-hmm. with a 523-pound uh, bench. That's your top five. Top five in the deadlift, V. Kihei with a 766 deadlift. L. Humphrey, 744. S. Anderson, 744. R. Pittman, 742. S. Holland, 738. On the total, I mean, way ahead of everybody was G. Herring with a 2,000-pound total. I shouldn't say way ahead. I guess R. Pittman was not that far behind with 1984. Jesse Kellum, 1925. P. Person, 1912. C. Siller. 1901. Hmm. So those are your your top lifters in the 198s back in the late 90s or late 80s, early 90s. Uh, <laughs> um, we had a picture of one Robert Keller <laughs> at the USPF New Jersey State, and he would later go on to be involved in that uh, actually USAPL. Mm-hmm. IPF USPF episode mm-hmm. um, at this particular meet in uh, nineteen ninety. He did a seven sixty squat, a four hundred bench, six seventy squat. I'm sorry, six seventy squat, four hundred bench, five seventy five deadlift at two twenty. And at this time, he was quote one of the USPF junior world team coaches, and also loved democracy. Still does, president of Powerlifting America. I love democracy. Uh, there was the USPF Illinois Championships, April 29th, 1990, in Effingham, Illinois, which Fuckingham. I've never heard of hardly, but it's in southern central Illinois. Really? You've never heard of it? I guess not really. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I've heard of it. So there's like a lot of manufacturing there. So like the first time I heard it, I always kind of giggle because it just sounds like fucking ham. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, there's like a lot of like manufacturing down there. And that was run, ironically, by one Daryl Latch. Oh. Who- would later go on to run a little bit with the APF and then run Sunlight Power. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a full-page ad from Ernie Franz. This is wild. Um, at this time, the world-famous Franz custom-made squat suits 
only $35. A Franz bench shirt, only $35. Um, Franz wraps, $9. Dude, I, I just, I can't. <laughs> Uh, what else was interesting? I'm actually, actually going to look up what the, that difference is with inflation right now. Yeah. This is 1990, I, right? Uh, this is in 1990, yeah. So the full-page ad from Ernie Franz. Um, there was also the results from the APF Senior State, Illinois Senior State, which was ironically the same day, April 29th, 1990, in Mundelay, Illinois. I'm sure there's no possibility of a coincidence that those meets were the same day. Yeah, right. Um, there was a, it was a small meet. I would say looked like about 20 lifters, two female guest lifters, and, and very good ones at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nancy Dangerfield and her husband, Terry Dangerfield, both lifted that meet, and they were gym owners from a gym in St. Charles. I believe it was called Olympic Gym. Mm-hmm. Um, Nancy Dangerfield at 148 did a 385 squat, 187 bench, 446 deadlift. Dawn Reschel of the Reschel Formula mm-hmm. – um, and her husband, oh, his name escapes me. Uh, it'll come to me later. But her husband created the Russell formula and was a longtime APF official. But Don did a 534 squat, a 286 bench, and a 551 deadlift at 198. And apparently she almost pulled a 606 deadlift. Damn. Wow. Um, she was a very strong lifter. But By the way, uh, $35 in 1990 is $75 today. Wow, so even even I with mean, inflation, dude, that's... Tremendous value. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the best lifters of the meet were Terry Dangerfield with a 1,504-pound total at 181. Mm-hmm. Steve Brod- Brodsky, a guy who's been around for a very long time, a 2,072 total at super heavyweight. And... You're and, about to say it. And one Steve Brock. My man. Uh, training partner of one Robert Bain, mm-hmm. lost on body weight. In the 242s, um, but did manage to set a, I guess you could set world records at local meets at this time. Mm-hmm. He did manage to set a bench world record on a fourth attempt with five, with 468. Um, he also squatted 622 in the meet. He benched 451, and he also did a 589 deadlift, good for a 1664 total at 220 as a teenager. Steve, oh, I'm sorry, Steve, at 242. Yeah. Steve would be a great one to have on. We, we should... We should talk to him about doing that. Yeah, I mean, gosh, he's obviously been around for 30 years. Yeah. You know, yeah. since a teenager. I know he took a break for a while. He did. He did. And, I mean, the, the man does stuff that, like, is just mind-blowing. I mean, very typical when people have kids. I think he has, what, three sons? Three, uh, two sons and a daughter. Two sons. So he has yep. three kids. I mean, when you have that many kids, um, like you, Mr. Bain, when they're just – when they start to outnumber the parents. Exactly. Once you're outnumbered, that's the only time it matters. Yeah. So. There are a couple letters the editor on Rich Peters having just left the USPF to form NASA – um, not very positive. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Rich Peter's been around for a long time. Um, I, I mean, I have actually emailed him a few times when we've gone through some of these Palooza throwbacks, and he's shed some light on a couple things. He might be also worth an interview to talk about his long, long experience in the sport. I mean, mm-hmm. we're going back to 1990 here. Apparently, he ran for USPF president, lost, and then went to form NASA. And it, you could go back to our Alphabet Soup episode, mm-hmm. NASA, Natural Athlete Strength Association, um, sure, sure, sure. This was after Rich Peters have, was a USPF meet director for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the back, there was a full back cover ad what the for fuck? GHB. Are you fucking kidding me? Gamma hydroxybutic acid. Or also known as? The date rape drug. Flores. GHB. Why uh, do they call it roofies when you hit the floor? Uh, so here's some direct 
copy quoted from this ad. Quote, GHB is like nothing you've tried before to speed recuperation and promote growth. Quote, only take GHB at bedtime. No shit. I have listened to a few wrestling podcasts. Um, there's one with Eric Bischoff I listen to pretty regularly. There's one with Bruce Pritchard. Um, both of them have talked about how around the 90s, like GHB was known as a bodybuilding supplement. Mm-hmm. And supposedly wrestlers would just take it before bed. They would go to bed and you wake up feeling better, I guess, at a certain dosage. Bruce Pritchard talks about a story when he went on a plane at the time he was taking GHB. I don't know why Bruce Pritchard was taking a bodybuilding supplement because he was never a bodybuilder. Um, but maybe he just liked the drug effects of it because Bruce Pritchard was known to do quite a bit of drugs, according mm-hmm. to his podcast. But he took a GHB, started to go to sleep, and then got woke up, called to do an emergency meeting on the plane with Vince McMahon. Yikes. And it was not a good time for him. Uh, uh, that had to be just fucking horrible. Right. So, um, wow, GHB I, was... I, just, I can't. Just a bodybuilding supplement. You know what's interesting is one of my clients here at 2XL who uh, she's a little bit older than you and I, Bane. I'd say she's maybe mid-40s. Maybe. I don't think she's quite 50. Mm-hmm. Um, she said there used to be, quote, a health food store that she would go into in Downers Grove. And, like, she went in there because her and her brother would just kind of, you know, occasionally tool around in downtown Downers Grove mm-hmm. and just, you know, as you did at that time, maybe, like, people go mall walking. Yeah. You just walk into random stores. And so she would just... Her and her brother walk into stores, and this particular place had a bunch of, like, bodybuilding comics that they mm-hmm. gave out for free. And so her and her brother would go in there every month and grab one. And she never bought anything, but, like, she would see that it was, like, there was a couple, like, protein powders and, like, other things. But, like, mostly there was a back wall with just a bunch of clear containers. And, like, that's basically all they sold was this one supplement. And what was that supplement they sold? GHB. It was GHB. Jesus. And all of a sudden, one at one point, that, that store just poof, it was gone. Oh, look at that. Wee. So crazy. Interesting. Well, from here, Mr. Bain, uh, let's jump into our talk with uh, you, myself, and Mr. Bob Merck. The birthday boy. And we're going to talk about transitioning from raw to equipped. And we do talk about this in the interview, but I will encourage people to uh, read the gear ebook that was mm-hmm. put out by Dave Kirshen, and there is a chapter in there written by Bob Merck where mm-hmm. he talks specifically about this topic. I mean, I think he reiterates a lot of the same topics in our interview, but it's always good to to hear it and then read it and kind of reiterate some yeah. of those same topics. Just further crystallizes. And, and, and honestly, it's going to help people who are ply curious uh, come up with questions to start asking. Yeah. Well, from here, Mr. Bain, let's jump into our time with Bob Merck. And we are back with yet another Strength and Anger interview. And I am uh, very excited for this one because I'm actually going to be interviewed. But most importantly, we have the man, the myth, the beard, the legendary, and still walking on his own two legs, and the birthday boy, Mr. Bob Merck. Happy birthday, Bob, and welcome back to Strength and Anger. Uh, thank you, Mr. Bain. It's good to be back. Two of the bearded Bobs in powerlifting exactly. coming together. Bobs, <laughs> beards, and beer. Could there be anything That's better? it. No, there couldn't. Exactly. Well, gentlemen, today we're going to talk about transitioning from raw to equipped. Wait, well, I was told a different transition. Uh, this oh, is not what I was That's a different for. podcast, sir. <laughs> not what I was prepared for at all. <laughs> um, let's, let's just start with kind of the basics. Uh, each of you two, and I, I mean... 
I was always equipped because there wasn't raw when I started mm-hmm. powerlifting. So I went to my first meet. And oh, in the time before time. Yes. Right. Yeah. And the time before powerlifting started even. Ah, yes. Um, so what are your best numbers raw and equipped? Let's start with the, the, uh, the, the new geared lifter, Mr. Bain. Sure. Uh, raw, uh, best squat was 694. Uh, best bench was 402. Best deadlift was 705. Uh, best total was 1741. Okay, and equipped? And equipped, uh, only one total. Uh, and numbers, uh, 953, 545, and 655 for a 2155 total. So your deadlift went down 50 pounds equipped? Uh, sure, why not? Uh, I guess I guess it doesn't help on the deadlift, huh? <laughs> no, it does not, it does not. It but. goes like that sometimes. You know, oh, I know, yeah. Squat went up a little bit, so. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Mr. Merck? So my best raw squat is actually 815, but I'm more proud of uh, an 800 at 220. So okay. Wow. My best squat. Yeah. That's what the wraps is basically geared. <laughs> best best bench. You're not going to like it. Four ninety five <clears throat> was my best raw bench. Okay. So that's still uh, knocking off the five hundred is still on my bucket list. Yep. And uh, my best raw pull is seven hundred, and the best total. They're not all obviously the same meat. Was nineteen seventy five. Okay. And how about equipped? And so equipped, we have an eleven sixty squat. And then, Mr. Stone, would you like my unlimited? Because I know you're a big fan of those bench shirts. Or would you like my poly? Would you like my poly bench? How about both? Both? We can go with both. So, so 820 in a uh, SDP, and then 1,000 pounds in the, the band shirt. I think it's like my fourth time in it. Mm-hmm. And my best deadlift is 805. And then the totals would be uh, 2715 or 2785, respectively, depending on which bench you decide to go with. Okay, very good. There you go. So let's start with kind of the basic. Like, I mean, you both started competing raw, obviously. I mean, Bane, you were raw, raw. Yes. Um, Merck, you were raw with wraps, correct? I was wraps, yes. Okay. So uh, so you kind of had your toe a little bit in it, Bob. But, uh, you know, just why the did, tip. Yeah, just the tip. Why did you guys decide to transition from competing raw to equipped? Um, let's start with you, Bob, since uh, you, you probably had a pretty, you know, a decent period raw, <laughs> and now you've had a, a long time in equipped, so you've got a – Pretty big sample size of each. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to kind of find it by accident. I mean, I was I started raw because I mean, it, there was it really was honestly. So it's early two thousand eight, two thousand nine. So there really was a lot of equipped, um, but I didn't really train with anyone. So I started raw just because it was what I knew, what I was used to from sports and college and stuff like that. So I used the wraps because again, it's what I was used to. I was in the two twenties, probably longer than I should have been, and hung out and cut weight and. Had some success, uh, especially like I got into it 2013 through, I'd say, like 2015, 16. I was really starting to do some well. I made a couple of, you know, songs, lists and this, that and the other. And uh, then in I think it was 2015 at like that, the semifinals that they had for the Arnold that year, Mm -hmm. like the XPC semifinals they had in Atlantic City. I, uh, I had a pretty bad shoulder injury. And it was bumming me out because I love training. I love lifting, always have. You know, I lifted before I was powerlifting, and uh, then I couldn't really bench. Mm-hmm. And I went I went to the ortho. I was going to need surgery. It's a torn supraspinatus, and I was bummed. I didn't want to get it. I was trying to wait it out. And then uh, Bill Fritz, who was a training partner of mine for a long time, just said, like, hey, you should try a bench shirt because, you know, that'll let you go through the motions and, uh, you know, maybe have some success and rehab and recover. And so I tried a bench shirt first. And he was right. Like it, it took pain away. I was able to have some success. Not exactly talking. I was doing board work, just mm-hmm. listening to them. 
So that was sort of my first introduction to it. So I was actually one of the raw guys who used to make fun of geared lifters, and now I'm just a big old hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> but at least, at least you have self-knowledge, so that's okay. Yeah, and I, I wasn't sold right away. Like, the bent shirt wasn't what did it for me. I'm like, ah, it's cool. I can train like this for a little while. But the day they convinced me to put on a pair of Vinja Predators, I was I was sold. I wasn't going back. There you go. <laughs> the Preds did it, yeah. huh? There you go. The Preds did it, yeah. I mean, because I already, like, I always squatted kind of like an equipped squatter when I was raw. Mm-hmm. I had, like, a wide sort of very open stance. And Seems easy. Matter of fact, I've been checking. I've been checked for my briefs, you know, underneath my singlet before multiple times just because people assumed with my <laughs> slow descent. That, that is funny. You know, did you just assume my equipment? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they assumed my equipment. Yeah, so, so multiple <laughs> times I've been called out and, and been a, called a cheater and, one time I was checked on the platform without the head judge telling me he, what he was doing, which that was an interesting story. I'm like, uh, buddy. I mean, the white lights, the white lights, great and all, but I mean, we're we're in public here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, so, usually uh, that, yeah. that's uh, something you negotiate either before or after, not necessarily. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's like an only bears thing, on, right? <laughs> yes. Once I threw on those threads, though, with no back, and I decided it sure would be cool to squat a thousand pounds, and and it was. And uh, thanks for the reminder. And although I've done, I've done some raw stuff since. It's still my heart is in multi. Okay, awesome. And Mr. Bain, the recently transitioned. Yeah. So uh, you know, I got into powerlifting, and, and much like Bob, I was just I, I liked lifting, and, and I liked being strong in that uh, concept. I saw equipped lifting at my first meet, and just thought it was cool. I didn't really know what I was looking at though. So like this concept of raw and equipped, I just didn't didn't understand. Uh, it was once I got to the first powerlifting gym that I trained at in Joaquin, Illinois, uh, that I first was introduced to what equipped was, and I kind of got a little more education on it. And I just thought it was fascinating. I thought it was really, really cool. Uh, kind of like the, the reason for the weight was a couple of things. One, I had uh, some some goals as far as uh, from a raw perspective, but also just the, the financial piece of it. I didn't necessarily have the, uh, the resources yet to uh, go and invest in my own gear and so I, you know, continue to kind of build a big raw base. Very similar to Bob, I had a wider squat stance. I already pulled sumo, uh, so all those were kind of set up. So there wasn't really big surgery from a technique perspective. But I always just was fascinated by multiply. I just thought the technical aspect of it was really, really cool. Uh, personally, I thought the personalities were uh, a lot more in tune with what what I liked. Uh, very much like the <coughs> WWF style of personalities versus kind of the not the, the the raw lifters of today. And and even when I first started, were not you know cool or interesting. But something about it was just kind of all this almost like a smugness. I didn't like that. Do you like to blow kisses to the crowd after your deadlifts, Mr. Bain? No, no. Any blowing <laughs> I do is is after. After the meet, so Perfect. Um, yeah, so th- that's just not n- not necessarily my thing. But again, some folks like that, and, and I always appreciate the brashness of any lifter. But that was really what attracted me to to multiply was that the these big personalities, these huge totals, and just the the technical aspect of like, listen, like yeah, the weight's big, but also you have to be very very technically sound, or else everything goes to shit. Yeah, no doubt. And you kind of, I mean, mean, yeah, I was going to say, sorry sorry to jump in and cut you off, but like, that's not what drew me to multiply, but that is definitely what I love most about it. I Mm -hmm. mean, the community is, is such a tight knit community. When I got, like I said, into those predators, it was because people were literally throwing gear. Multiply (laughs) lifters almost like love to build an army. It's like one of us, one of us. Exactly. They want to entice you. It's like, I've got old gear. You don't even need to spend money. Why don't you come to my basement? You're like, (laughs) yeah, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Put, put on this skin tight suit. It's definitely not human skin, yeah. but it's in my basement. It's awfully, totally fine. This is awfully tight. You sure I'll be able to get out of this? Oh, the five guys will try you out of it. No <laughs> yeah, problem. Like, okay. Uh, yeah, sure. We'll do that. Well, why are but, yeah, I mean, literally, people were sending me gear, and it's like the most welcoming community. Like, yeah. no one's charging you for training, but people want to help you train and give you advice anyway. It was. 
that that aspect of multiply is really unmatched in the raw community and like i said i was doing pretty well i've done some arnold's and done some bigger meets raw and there's a lot more like divisiveness people aren't cheering for you the way that we cheer for each other and say like the wpo people are like rooting for your competitors and that's kind of cool it is it's so dope and it is an awesome it is an awesome sort of like fraternity as anthony calls it uh, i agree absolutely and one of the things that i always kind of think about is how many people and, and bob i'm sure you can relate eric i'm sure you can relate to this too is how many people have said like hey like try this try this and like listen the only reason i'm telling you this because i want to see you put up a big total yeah and like i can't yeah, even exactly. count how many times I've, I've heard that when i was a raw guy like don't be wrong certain people would tell me that but it was not as universal as it is now so that's just something yeah. that I, I think is uh one of the driving factors that not only you know took me to, to multiply but it but is keeping me in yeah i mean and for me like my first meet, which again, I was just in a double ply poly squat suit, mm-hmm. but being an APF meet at Franz gym, like it was that environment for me right from the start. Like everyone was welcoming. I had somebody wrap my knees cause they saw me crappily wrapping my knees myself <laughs> and I, as a high school kid. So I think, you know, the roots of multiply being with 30 Franz in the APF has, you know, helped build that foundation. That I think has, has stayed through to today with that community. And I, again, I agree. Uh, not that the raw meats aren't great meats, but mm-hmm. I don't think you have that same atmosphere as you said, Bob. Yeah. I mean, I could call Danny Tanero or, you know, Anthony or Hop or any of those guys right now and be like, Hey, I'm having this problem. Mm-hmm. And all those, all those guys would without a fail, like diagnose it for me and work with me. Let me know what's worked for them. I mean, what other sport, not just powerlifting, but what other sport can like the top guys call each other and like get help like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, no doubt. Um, so you guys kind of talked about, um, you know, how long you guys spent in raw. How long was it from the time that you decided, hey, I'm going to do a raw meet and then actually or I, I want to do an equip meet and then got the gear, trained it and actually did a meet. So let's start with you, Bane, because I think you have the longer answer. Yeah. So I made the decision I was going to uh, transition to multiply. It was actually right before the 2019 Super Finals here in Chicago. Uh, you know, we, we had the whole thing going on with, with the spotters, and I, I you know, had that best seat in the house. And I made the decision, like, I, I want to try this. I, wanna, I definitely want to check this out. It was shortly thereafter that Steve Brock threw me in his shirt, and that kind of solidified it for me because um, he, he needed somebody to stretch it out. And so that was what I made the decision to do. So 2019, obviously, we have a whole bunch of things that went on between 2020 and 2021, myself getting hurt as well. So that kind of delayed uh, that uh, that transition over. But then, yeah, once uh, once I did my first meet back raw in 2020, uh, that was when everything really started to accelerate. I, I had a pair of briefs that was uh, given to me. I then got my first pair of Predators. I then was given two pairs of overkill briefs. Uh, so I was able to, to really start training went through the whole process of training for a year and then did actually one year to the day did uh, my first multiply meet. Yeah. So you, you decided a year in advance and then trained for a year in the gear before doing a meet. Uh, basically decided two years in advance, but then yes, trained for a year and then, yeah. yeah so, okay. um, yeah, that, that was my, my process. How about you, Bob? So, uh, remember when I said I tried those predators and liked them? <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I guess it was about four or five weeks later. I'm not sure exactly when that I jumped into a meet. And uh, I knew I knew that, yours was going to be shorter. That sounds like Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm just some ready fire aim. That's the way. I, well, not so much anymore. I'm trying to learn not to be like that now that I've gotten to this point. But I used to be like a seven, eight year, uh, seven, eight 
meet a year kind of guy. So I just jumped into one because I was going to be there handling anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't go great. I squatted pretty pretty okay for a first meet. I think I squatted like 925 or, or something like that. Uh, got it on my second. And uh, then bench proved to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And I had my, had my first bomb out ever there. So uh, I decided that at that point I should probably train for the multiply meet. Um, I gave it a solid few months. And then I went up to... Uh, to Hercules gym at the time, which was where Rita West was. And mm-hmm. I did my first uh, equipped meet that I was able to finish okay. a few months later. And my handlers, because my guys couldn't make it, were my uh, my daughter and my wife. So okay. My first, nice. uh, yeah, so my wife was wrapping my knees and my daughter, she's probably only like like 11 or 12 at the time, was calling my dad, which was kind of fun. <laughs> okay, so quick turnaround yeah. for Bob. Yeah, quick turnaround. Um, and you kind of talked about that, Bob, how – uh, you know, you had to kind of train for it and, and then I'm assuming change how you were training. So, you know, what was the biggest change training wise when you switched over to, we'll say mostly competing equipped, because it sounds like you've done a few raw meets here and there, but in general, I think since that point, uh, you've, you've mostly done equipped meets. What was the biggest change training wise? So the biggest train change training wise, uh, I don't know that I've really changed much. It was more like preparation for a meet was the biggest trend. I've always trained hard. I always, always probably trained too hard, honestly. Um, obviously, I had to change sort of how I did things. Like, for instance, <clears throat> especially in the bench press, there was a big change because my strengths were not the strengths of, like, a traditional multiply lifter. Mm-hmm. In a bench shirt, you have all this support at the bottom and, and really not much at the top. So, like, when I first started really training, I noticed, like, I was training with guys who I out raw benched by 100 to 150 pounds. And then if we were doing, say, like three or four board presses, like lockout work and stuff like that, even two board presses, those guys were destroying me. So I kind of had to focus on some weaknesses, not weaknesses, but like different different areas where I wasn't really prepared because of the support of the gear. So uh, I had to work on like lockouts, for instance, in, uh, in bench press. I had to learn how to deal with pressure. Um, and on squats and then deadlift honestly i didn't really start wearing a deadlift suit for the first uh, year or so i was pulling in just briefs but not a whole lot of changes to the training but my meat preparation that was that was a big difference uh, the reason i bombed out of that first meet was because i had never squatted equipped and tried to bench equipped on the same day mm. okay yeah that's, and, that's uh, definitely and, and a much, thing. much like we said bane's deadlift went down well like a lot of people always like to criticize multiply deadlifts it's like well that's a lot less than well Guess what? I pull a lot more on my deadlift days than I do on my deadlifts and beats too. It's a little bit different tired. when you, yeah, you squat a thousand plus pounds, you bench eight hundred plus pounds, your hands are the size of you know grapefruits. It's like, oh, I don't even want a deadlift. Yeah, I mean, I'm done. it is hard to if you've never been in a tight squat suit with the straps up and knee, tight knee wraps. It is hard to describe that pressure on your head and your whole body if you've never done it before. I mean, it, it is. I would say wholly unique. Oh, is that what it feels yes. like when the gears are doing all the work? Yes. Got yeah, it. The, the Got gear, it. feels like your head's going to explode. Makes your head's going to explode, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. That makes so much sense. Uh, how about you, Mr. Bain? Uh, so my training, like, really, and really it's still kind of in that process how it's changed. Uh, it's timing out the the training in the gears. You know, the couple things that are going on is uh, I typically train in my gear uh, only one, maybe two days a week max. Um and then it's when you know, kind of waving that in. When is it going to be? Is it going to be, uh, you know, a heavy squat day and a medium bench, or a light squat day and a heavy bench? Like how we wave those kind of things in. Uh, 
and then giving myself the time to recover as well uh, when I'm going heavy on, on certain movements because uh, I may not necessarily have, as some other competitors do, the you know either additional supplementation or potentially also the uh, just the access to the equipment. So you know that's uh, that's probably the biggest thing that has changed is how we wave in the equipment versus what I used to do is just you know come in and today's going to be a you know squat bench day or a squat deadlift day and uh, and more often than not it was always a a squat and pull day together uh, and then bench is own separate day. Um, but again, this kind of waving those in has really been the biggest difference. Okay. And how often are you getting in your gear? You said only once, once a week, typically. Uh, so I'm, I'm typically in briefs at least once a week, uh, more often than not, I'll be in at least briefs twice and, uh, a shirt every other week. Uh, and then usually every four weeks is when I'll go full gear. Okay. And like I said, it's kind of waved in there as far as, you know, it'll be uh briefs, naked knee, brief sleeves, briefs, uh, and wraps and then, you know, full gear. And then it'll be, you know, board work. It'll be uh, heavy doubles to touch, heavy singles to touch. Again, kind of waved in how, how we do that. And you guys are essentially doing at least a modified, I mean, I guess all conjugate is modified, but you're, you're doing a conjugate style training with that. Would you say? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Basically the upper max effort, upper max effort, lower uh, dynamic effort, uh, upper and dynamic uh, lower. Okay. Bob, I think you are in the gear much more frequently than the average lifter. So why don't you describe kind of what you have going on there? So especially when I first started, I just felt like, like I said, I had strength and I was trying to learn a skill. So when I first started, I was in the gear like almost every week. Now, not always a full squat suit, but I was in, you know, at least briefs when I was squatting on, on my two squat days. I was always pulling at least briefs. I know that I do more work in a bench shirt than most people, which is why I chew through so many bench shirts. But again, like I said, it took me a little while. That was the hardest to transition from raw, like learning that skill. Um, I always had to unlearn some raw strengths to be able to learn how to bench the bench shirt. So I was in it like three out of every four weeks at a minimum at first. I'm actually starting to switch over. You guys be proud of me to more of a conjugate style training, and I'm in my gear a lot less because I'm finally starting to give myself enough credit to to say that I, I have that skill down and I'm not nervous that you know I'm going to wake up one day and forget how to bench in a bench shirt. Um, but at least when I first started, and I think a lot of people who do switch over would benefit from spending more time learning the gear, especially if you already have a strong base because you're trying to get better, not necessarily stronger per se. Sure. No, I mean – I mean, we were in gear in Franz gym almost every week. I mean, sometimes we'd have lighter weeks when we'd just go in and briefs or whatever. But I think for me, you know, especially going from even just a poly, like a, a, a probably even less support than like a current single ply poly suit, like a stretchy poly suit to a canvas suit. You know, we were in those canvas suits almost every week. And I do think that aided me quite a bit in learning how to squat in it. And, you know, now I'm more in the, okay, I'm probably not in my canvas suit at all in the off season, preparing for a meet, maybe, you know, three months out, maybe I'm going out every, I'm going in, in it every three weeks. And then I'm going every two, three weeks, um, getting closer until right up in the meet. But I do think lifters newer to gear, probably it would behoove them to get in the gear at least more often than not, because like you said, it is a skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, touching a bench press is very challenging. So if you do it more, you'll get better at it. I don't have any trouble touching it because I don't have a shirt in the way. <laughs> uh, well, you talked about this a little bit, Mer- uh, Merck, but you know, what muscle groups, what areas of the body did you have to emphasize more 
when you started uh, training equipped. Um, definitely sounded like, you know, lockout triceps was one area. Triceps. Triceps is going to be like triceps. the biggest one by far. Um, I was way lagging. I realized, and still to this day, like my raw bench, I generate all my power off the chest. And I was kind of like that, that sink and heave. Mm-hmm. style raw bencher mm-hmm. where i would like almost like catch it and you know kind of almost time the press command you would get used to like i'm catching it and i'm like ready to explode down there so that benefited me with my raw strength but in terms of like switching over to equip it was terrible because now you're coming down slow and you don't have that you're not sinking and heaving in a you know a two or three ply multi-ply shirt nope. so i definitely didn't have the tricep strength that was a big thing um specifics to squatting i don't think it was so much the the muscle groups that i had to worry about it was more like the uh the learning like you said to deal with that that pressure mm-hmm. um and and doing things like that the pressure was more than, than the specific muscle groups uh deadlifting in gear i realized that i didn't have any glutes and they're they're coming along now finally i seen them that muscle yeah, coming. Um, <laughs> but that muscle group and it took me a little while to having Anna McCluskey to like teach me how they worked and to how to train them so we're starting to make some progress again there but it was less about the muscle groups and more about just getting used to the differences in uh in the pressure and learning how to use that that gear. It's, the gear is a tool it's a skill sure and so learning how to and almost how to like especially when you're switching from raw to equipped you have to kind of take your ego out of it because you're going to suck a little bit. And that was hard for me because I went from being a pretty decent raw lifter to being like with a group of guys where I wasn't like the man. It was it was challenging to take a couple steps back before we could take a few steps forward. Uh, it's interesting you talk about how predator briefs were the thing that kind of brought you into it because I think briefs just feel – when you're in briefs, you just feel great squatting. Like it, it just <laughs> like enhances everything squatting. But I think benching in a shirt, like there's some days when it feels like you could bench less than you bench raw. And there's other days when it just feels perfect. And it's like you could just bench, you know, a thousand. Um, and you just have those on and off days where it's very challenging to get, you know, the groove of the bencher. I think to me, that's always been my experience and people I've trained that that's the one that really kind of mind fucks you when it's just so different to bench in a shirt versus bench raw. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's but that's kind of weirdly enough, that's what I love about it. Yeah. Like that's what draws me. That's why I love the bench press. That's why like you'll hear me like I know I've done the unlimited stuff and I'll probably bench in the unlimited shirt again, but you'll never see me go full power again. And I'm doing primarily most of my training back in the, the polys because like anyone with a big set of balls is gonna get a lot of carryover out of those band shirts. I mean I know that we've had people disagree and this, that and the other, but the reality is I benched two hundred pounds more than my best poly my fourth time in that shirt yeah if, if you're strong you still have to be strong but if you're strong you're going to get a huge carryover mm-hmm. um, but i kind of i kind of like the frustration and the chess game that is benching in a shirt and you know how light can i go for my opener where i can still touch and it's going to be guaranteed and, you know the, the the minute details that there are it, it and, weeds uh, out and, the and mentally success. weak. yeah yeah like that that's how i look at it, is it weeds out the mentally weak yeah uh, Matt Manuth told me one time, he was like talking about his shirt, and he's like, well, I need at least this much to touch, but I can't press more than this, and it was like a seven-pound gap. Jesus. <laughs> like, like, and I'm like, whoa, that is, that is tight. Uh, that is, that is. Uh, how about for you, Mr. Bain? Because, again, you really went from like rah, rah, rah yeah. to, to multiply. So you went full bore. What would you say that went balls deep. muscle group-wise did you have to emphasize more training-wise? A- absolutely. Triceps was one. Uh, and then, and, Triceps? Yeah. Um, and then 
lats and the upper back. That was, for me, that was a big one that I had to work on because I had to get myself prepared to be able to handle such bigger loads. Uh, Come on, it's a layup. (laughs) Go ahead. That's what she said? There you go. (laughs) It's like, what are you going to get it? Uh, Yeah, so, like, you know, prepare myself to be able to to support those uh, because it, there there is a difference. I don't care who you are, whether it is raw or equipped. Uh, when you stand up with 800, 900, 1,000 pounds, that upper back had better be ready or else you're you're going to fold like a fucking lawn chair. And so that, so that was for And me, it's exponential, I feel like. It, there's a huge difference. There's a bigger difference, I think, between, for me, and I know you guys are hitting bigger numbers than me. For me, there's a bigger difference between five to 600 versus six to 700. And I'm sure there's a bigger difference. Yes. Seven to eight, eight to nine. Yes. Nine to 10 and, and Merck 11. <laughs> yes. So, so that those, those two for me, was, so it was triceps. And then it was, it was lats slash upper back, uh, that change. And I really had to emphasize to, uh, to be able to maximize what I've got now here so far. Okay. So what would you say, Mr. Bain was the biggest challenge for you when you first started using gear? Was it the technical aspect was it the frustration factor we've talked about? Something uh, else for for me, like I'll, I'll be transparent. It was the fear. There were okay. times, and and, I, and I'm sure all of us have had this. Anybody listens has had this. You're in the hole. You've and it may not even be a, ma- a maximal load, but it's just you're suddenly feeling a new pressure. You're feeling uh, pressure in different areas of your body. So not just the pressure you're gonna feel in your head, and you know the the room's going blurry, and you know, all those types of things. But it was just all these things are new, and so it's almost like this sensory overload. That was one of the biggest challenges for me is like, listen, just trust it. Like the gear, especially the way the gear is made today. Yes, there is the opportunity for it to possibly uh, blow, but it is much rarer. Like you, you don't see that as much anymore. Uh, and, you know, I know personally, and I know, Bob, you had this too, as do you, Eric, is like, I've got a great crew around me. Like you have to just trust it. Like you can't, uh, can't rush it. You can't get scared. And so that was the biggest challenge for me is kind of getting over all of that. Uh, and then for me personally, it was also – uh, not taking early success and thinking that it is going to be this linear progression again. So it was kind of like that re-education of strength is not linear. 100%. How about you, Bob? Um, a lot of what Bain said, but also like realizing how small the window for error is was mm-hmm. always like, mm-hmm. that, was a, that was a big challenge because when you're raw, like you should never bomb raw because if you can... <laughs> if, Cut if, that if quote can, out right if, there. If you, can do, if, you can, if you can execute the lift. Right, yeah. I mean, you're just, if you're bombing raw, you're just making bad attempt selections. And, and honestly, I don't think you should really bomb much equipped either because same sort of reason, but there is just so much smaller of a window, so much less um, margin for error. But the weird thing is my frustrations actually didn't come right away. My challenges actually came sort of like after I've been in it for a couple of years because I had some early success sure. where I kind of felt like, oh, this is easy. Like I, I did that first meet. I totaled right about 24. Right. Um, easy, a couple months right. ago. A couple, a couple months later, I totaled 25, mm-hmm. and then like, and then not even that much long later in 2017, I totaled 26.05. So I was on like a roll, and it wasn't until I think, sort of like, but I was like a bull. I was like using my strength and using the gear almost as an accessory, but I wasn't maximizing the potential of the gear. Okay. When I started getting frustrated was when I had to start fighting and scraping for pounds, mm. and uh, and realizing that like my way might be working, but it's not necessarily the best way. Like if I keep my head down instead of lifting it up to almost like simulate like a sig and heave, I'm going to bench more. If I, you know, sit back and open up harder, I'm going to have an easier time squatting and I'm going to look less like I'm going to blow my knees off. 
So my struggles actually came after I'd been into it for like a year and a half when I had to, again, sort of almost for a second time, retrain myself um, how to use the gear correctly. Um, and it came from finally like listening to some training partners who were saying like, you're stronger than us, but it's only because you're stronger than us. Like you're not better than us. Magnavit is a great example. Like he can bench as much as me in a shirt all day long, but I, I can crush him wrong, but he's very technically sound. Um, so training with some people like that and learning that I always say it's, you know, I'm trying to get better, not stronger. Sure. Makes sense if you think about it, because once you get to a certain point, there's diminishing returns in your strength, but you mm -hmm. can always get better. And if you can get, you know, even 5%, 2% better on a, on your max effort lift, you're going to get some serious carryover out of it. And especially with the gear that's coming out, better gear means get better at it. You'll get even more carryover. So Definitely. that's where my struggles were as I had to sort of like not muscle things and learn to like trust the gear and, uh, and try and get as much as possible out of each piece of it. Yeah. I mean, I think that smaller margin of error is something again, that, it's difficult to explain if you haven't been there mm -hmm. trying to get that bottom position and touch in a super <laughs> tight bench shirt or trying to get that last inch of your, you know, squat to get proper depth. Um, we, in, we, inches matter. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Uh, we have a, a lifter here, a female who's done a couple meets in a shirt, mm -hmm. but first time going in, in briefs. And it's just like, man, it, you forget when you haven't had a new lifter in briefs before, like it just wants to shoot your knees forward. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's older and got some knee issues. And I said, you know, you just have to sit back and trust the briefs. And yep. it, it, it's a it's a mind transition as well. You got to just get used to feeling that pressure and putting your body in a position. The gear doesn't want you to go in. Right. Exactly. So, uh, you know, you both kind of talked about guys you have around you. Bob, you've got, you know, kind of a, I don't know if you consider it a team or a crew or whatever, but you've got some people around you that you train with. Um, you definitely got a team and crew that you train with, Bain, mm -hmm. both here and at Wolfpack. Do you think, do you both think, is it a necessity to train with a crew? And, and I'm, since you both compete multiply, we'll stick with multiply. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's a necessity or a nicety? Uh, Bob, you want to take this one? You want me to start? I, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably agree. I think it's a necessity. I think, I mean, especially if you want to be good, if you want to have success, yes. I, I think you're handling weights that want to kill you. <clears throat> I want to be surrounded by guys. I want to be surrounded guy, by guys who want to stop that from happening. Yes. Um, and Blue, the reason blue I elbow sleeves for everybody. Like, I, am, I am never going to be scared of a weight. I never have to be scared of a weight because I never put myself in a position where, you know, I might not trust myself, but those guys – that bar was, has never touched the safety. It's knock on wood. I mean, we have anywhere from eight to 12 people training with us, and we're all multiply. Everyone knows the deal. Mm -hmm. um, and a perfect example of that is when Anna came. Uh, Anna, and I can't take credit for her success because Anna is a freak, and she came here already mm -hmm. tremendously strong. But the one thing that Anna never really had, I mean, she had crews for a little while, but she never had a crew that was, you know, 10 multiply guys surrounding her. And when she's like, oh, that'll be my last set, who were like, no. Hmm. absolutely it's, not it's, it's not so the biggest thing that sometimes we offer each other isn't even advice it's just an environment where you can feel safe to sort of push the envelope and honestly like your depth's not there you can go heavier so although it might be technically possible to compete multiply without a crew and i know that some people have to struggle through that i would still say it's a necessity to do it right okay I, absolutely i think that it's 
uh, a necessity for optimal, uh, as Eric loves to say, for optimal training. Uh, and I think for maximizing the, the gear itself and your potential, you have to have people around you. The greatest athletes, the greatest uh, entrepreneurs, the greatest leaders all have people around them that push them to be better. So so when I, I, I don't care if it's multiplier or not. Whenever anybody says, well, I do everything alone, well, you're a fucking idiot. Because if even somebody, uh, you know, I know people always use Michael Jordan as the example. He had multiple coaches and leaders that helped him and pushed him to make sure he always stayed at the top. What one of any of us can say, oh, no, I, I'm definitely better what I do than he is. No problem. Yeah. I, you know, I, when I trained at Franz Gym again, I, I can tell you, and, and I, I feel the same here with Team Stone and 2XL, but I think back to that environment where I kind of started really getting into multiply gear. And it's like, there was never a time when I went down with any weight mm-hmm. that I didn't feel like I was going to be able to, if I missed it, that they weren't going to grab me because you had people around you that had done it before. And if I mean, it was Jose Garcia pulling 800 yeah, pounds, he can just well, do it himself. <laughs> right. I mean, when you've got three guys in the other rack squatting a thousand weekly, it's like, eh, if you're doing 700, you don't feel like you're, yeah, you're, you're not it's that big. Yeah. So, um, you know, that is a question we probably get the most from because we have a lot of as bain likes to call it ply curious <laughs> listeners that are interested in gear and that's a question we get a lot and it it's a challenge when you don't have a crew around you and i know we have some listeners that either train by themselves or maybe they train with their significant other or one or two training partners gosh i the best advice i can give is like if there isn't a crew create one mm-hmm. i mean that's what i did if 10 you, years ago if you build it they will come I, yeah, that's what Same I did. Here. That's that's how I did it. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't train at Franz anymore because it just didn't fit with my work schedule. So we bought a monolift and bench and just started small and built. Um, it, every, everybody's got to start somewhere with it. Um, it is hard, I know. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. But it, it, I think, as you but, both said, if you want to optimize it, mm-hmm. I mean, you don't need a crew of 8 to 10 necessarily like Merck has unless you want to squat 1,100. You might. I mean, but, don't just have a guy who can search for it by himself. Yeah, we got one here, I think, don't we? <laughs> yeah, John like Compion? Oh, no, no. Uh, El Savior, but no. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, <laughs> even if you have three to five, um, that's a start. Um, and even if you have to travel and you can only get, like, yes. one day a week in with a crew, like, that's Shit, something one day a month. be all you need, too. Like, you don't have to have the crew five days a week. You don't no, have to do I agree. all your training with them. Correct. So even if – so the, to those guys who are, like, call them ply curious, I mean – take a look around and ask some people because again the multiply community is welcoming it if there's someone within two hours of you it's it's probably worth setting up go two times a month yeah. do your one heavy squat day and your one heavy bench day and mm-hmm. and and call it call it a month and i mean again that's still not optimal but at least you'll you'll have a crew there who knows you who's giving you some feedback who might be willing to meet you and handle you at a meet um and so you can take some heavy hits and not and not be concerned so i mean there's definitely ways around it i mean perfect world you can build your own crew in your basement you have a wife who loves you and doesn't mind you spending a small fortune and bringing 10 sweaty dudes in the house you know four times a week stacy is pretty dope that way if you're not that lucky and uh and you know you don't have that opportunity there are other ways to go about it definitely you know? yeah little nicky uh limited to three sweaty dudes in my house uh, during the pandemic so <laughs> yikes yeah uh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know there was guys that used to travel to Franz Gym from Detroit. There was a couple mm-hmm. guys that used to drive like five hours, like two or three times a month 
you know, almost every weekend to do their heavy squat bench deadlifted fronds, which I thought was crazy at the time. But I guess if there's nobody around you, like kind of get it now, don't yeah, you? I, most, I definitely do. Most of my guys, most of my guys live an hour to two hours away. Like, mm-hmm. It's not like everyone's it's not like everyone just happens to be near Atlantic City. I mean, right. uh, there's only there's only two of them, I think, within a half an hour. Wow. So I got guys coming from like out in Pennsylvania, past Philly. I mean, mm-hmm. Magnavita comes from like an hour away. He's all the way at the southern tip of Jersey, like where we run out and then fall into the ocean. Like, mm-hmm. so nobody's nobody's really close except for a couple of the guys that I started with when I very first started. I mean, it's you can you can you can make it happen if you want it bad enough. Yeah, so I think it's 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 an hour plus for me to get up to to Wolfpack, and then I mean, Barzine Vizier, you know, he comes from Elgin, which is almost two hours away, and we I would say. Well, before she got hurt, uh, um, Danielle and Joe Fargo, they would come from basically Detroit area. And then uh, Sarah Effinger comes from Evansville, Indiana. It was like eight and a half hours away. <laughs> and, you know, because Sean coaches her. And so once once a month, uh, her and her husband are, are up there. Yeah. Um, what would you two change, if anything, from the first few training cycles you did equipped? You know, whenever you started, you know, maybe Bain – yeah, your meat prep in addition to, you know, your off-season stuff leading into it. What would you have changed, if anything? Uh, the last meat that I would have spotted would have been the Strength of Heroes meat. I would have not spotted a single meat after that. Okay. That affected my training because, and I've told you both this, that spotting a meat for me is it's more tiring than even competing, except for possibly competing equipped. I, it was pretty, pretty even at that point, especially if it's an all-day meat. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that – I lose a week of training to to in the lead up to the meet, do we spot in the meet, and then the recovery afterwards. So I mean, I easily lost three weeks of training in that first you know, real run up to to the Midwest Equipped Open. So that that's what I would does. I would have stopped spotting uh, completely after uh, after that meet. Why do you think I became a judge, Bane? <laughs> <laughs> In addition to not being very big. Um, I mean, fair, but, you know, I am fairly good at what I do. So, Yeah, no, no doubt. How about you, Bob? Uh, so I kind of touched on this earlier when I said, like, I hit my struggles late. But I think if I would have spent more time trusting and learning the gear early on, I would have had um, to not unlearn so many bad habits. I would have had possibly some more early success. Honestly, what I would have changed is just listening to the people who had done it before me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surrounded by great people. And I kind of stubbornly thought, like, no, nah, well, I'm, I'm having success. Let me alone. Let me have it. Um, and then it took some time and some struggles to realize, like, they were right. And I had to take a step back. Um, in terms of training, I'm learning now that I probably would benefit from taking some steps back. So, like, I didn't need to be full gear as much as I was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, didn't, I didn't need to take as heavy of benches every week as I was. I still <laughs> liked being in my bench. I still like being in my bench shirt more. But I'm starting to realize now that it's less about the the weight that I'm moving and more how I'm moving the weight. Sure. If I'm moving moving 755 lightning fast for a triple, what's the difference if I'm moving, you know, 785 slow for a triple? I'm going to get more beat up. They're not as quality reps. I mean, I'm starting to learn. And I don't learn quickly. It takes me a little while. (laughs) But uh, lessons lessons like that you don't always need to be moving maximum weight to get to sort of maximum out of it and that was uh that was tough for me because i feel like in my head i feel like i need to like i need to handle this weight before i can successfully do it Mm -hmm. Um, i had that i had that mentality for so long and the second that i dropped that mentality and just realized like moving lesser weight optimally and fast is 
just as probably more beneficial, um, I started having some more success. So honestly, if I could have learned that lesson a little earlier, I would have applied that to my training early on. Okay, interesting Makes stuff. Sense. Uh, so what about the actual competition day? So we've talked a lot about training, mm-hmm. um, and I think we would probably all three of us agree that completing a meet raw, and I, to be fair, I've only really done a push-pull meet raw. Um, I've never actually done a meet squatting raw, but, you know, just even just training-wise, you can see, like, doing a meet raw is certainly vastly different than doing a meet equipped. Mm-hmm. So what were the different challenges? I mean, you only have one meet under your belt, Bane, but, mm-hmm. hey, you've, you've got the sample size of that. Yeah. But, but what, Damn near bombing at first meet. <laughs> yeah. What were the challenges competing equipped versus raw? Let, let's start with you, Bob, since you've got, you know, a little bit more experience competing equipped. Well, the one big one is you got to get people to go with you or have people there. Mm-hmm. So, so that like if you're raw, you have one guy, you've got enough. If you're equipped, I, I'd say two, two is great. Three is optimal. More than three is fantastic. Um, so you need to have people there. Uh, but but then navigating the warm-up room is also such a challenge because you know you have to figure out like, you know, where am I in this rotation? What flight am I? When's the right time to start warming up? Is it going to get hectic and crazy? You know, because you're not just warming up to, you know, your 700 pound opener. You're now warming up to your, you know, 1,050 pound opener, and it just requires a lot more. How long can I be in these briefs before I'm going to have bathroom? Like, there's a lot of little things that you never really think about that go into the challenges of warming up, mm-hmm. and then you got to do it again, benching. And depending on how the meets are running, you know, with multiply, I've experienced everything from like the 13 hour meets to the to the four hour, five hour WPO meets. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you have to be able, and I'm not sure which one's harder, to be honest with you. They are both hard for the different reasons. Um, But you have to be able to adjust, adjust to that. You got a 35 minutes to warm up and you're taking a 760 bench opener. You've you've got some work to do. Uh, So that has been the biggest change. Like how do you approach your, your, your warmups has probably been the biggest change. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that that the timing is, is it's, you talked about it just when lifting with it, the margin for error, you know, it's a tighter window because you've, you probably got more warmups mm-hmm. because you've got to do a certain number of warmups to kind of like set your gear and, you know, on squat, maybe you're going to do a couple sets with just your briefs and then maybe you're going to do a couple sets with your suit and then straps up and then add wraps mm-hmm. on bench. It's like, all right, am I going to do a, uh, a warm up to a board? And then am I even going to try? I don't know what you guys do. I don't personally touch in the warm-up area, um, I would work down to a one board for my last warm-up. I know there's different differing uh, thought processes on that, but there's definitely more factors involved with warming up. Yeah, I think that that was to me probably the biggest difference was the 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 warming up and and how we timed that, and then yeah, just the the need for that crew around you because I think when when we did the meet here. Uh, it wasn't just me; it was there was uh, some other uh, folks in the Wolfpack that were were here. And I mean, we we had ten people here that were were handling us. I mean, we literally had somebody who was uh, rolling wraps, and I mean, I had one person dedicated to just taking our knee sleeves off, which was great. So I mean, you know, definitely was it was an optimal experience for us. But yeah, so arranging the the logistics of having everybody there, and then of uh, just timing the warm up, and then just kind of dealing with the additional fatigue that really, at least for me, really hit after the first deadlift, where it was like holy shit like the meat is like the totals in but like now like 
all this weight and this tonnage you've been moving over the course of the day is really starting to hit. And even mm-hmm. though, again, it's not a super long meet, like you said, Bob, like it could be a 13-hour long meet and you've got maybe some time to rest, but also you like have to kind of be up for that whole time. Uh, and then you've got those meets that are you know ESPN style and it's five hours and it's just like it, it's a, a 1,600-meter sprint and you're just, you're just dying at the end. So, uh, so yeah, definitely that, that difference in GPP is, uh, is what struck me uh, as I kind of fit, wrapped up the, uh, the meet. Yeah, and and it's not that I would switch my training to do this, but it kind of does make you maybe appreciate why Franz mm-hmm. would always do the squat bench deadlift in one day. Yep. Um, together on a, on a heavy Saturday. I mean, then you go to the once you've done that every week training wise. Now you go to a meet. It's it's not a big deal to yeah, do it. Exactly. Um, so I, I I don't train that way. I don't think you guys do either necessarily. But I can certainly appreciate why he had his training set up that way. SBD four days a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, make sure you get your SPD knee sleeves too. Com- complete gear. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we've talked, we've probably given some advice, but again, we've got a number of listeners who are, are probably curious. <laughs> so, you know, maybe each of you give, what would you say is like your, your top three, top five, just general pieces of advice to lifters who are curious um, to start training, possibly competing equipped? Uh, we'll start with you, Bob. All right, so number one would be get your uh, hands on that PDF of Kirchin's book. Mm-hmm. I know he's been on here. We talked about it and all, but like that has the answer to a lot of questions that you might have. Definitely. Um, and and then number two, we already touched on too, but like do your best to find some people who are either willing to like get with you in person or or at the very least watch you from afar. Like you can send your videos to them, get some feedback from them, like. Get yourself some people to watch you because how it feels and like how it feels to you is not necessarily just going to be right. You know, you might think you're doing something right. There's a lot of there's a lot of mistakes that I was making and didn't really learn from until I started trusting people. So, get yourself some people. Get yourself access to that book. That would be my like first two big ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about like I could keep going or go? Oh yeah, no. Yeah. What what about as far as like okay, what gear should I get? That's what I always people always ask. So, All of it. <laughs> so what you know okay bob i want to try geared lifting what would you suggest i would say again if you can put it out there reach out to people see if anyone has some stuff you could try somewhere like if you can get with a crew like we have people come to us all the time because we'll ask that question like well i don't know how I want. we'll come here we've got something for everyone mm-hmm. try a couple things first get used gear um a lot of people think the gear is going to make the big difference uh it it, it might make a difference but it's not I mean, I've benched in everything. I've benched in metal. I've benched in Titan. I've benched in Inzo. I've benched in Overkill. And yes, they are all different, but they're all also sort of the same. Like you, you can learn in all of them and take lessons away from it. So get yourself some used gear. I also mm-hmm. tell people like get get yourself some looser used gear mm-hmm. because it's, it, it's it's not it's not even that you don't want to be in tight gear. It's that you don't want to be frustrated. You want to find some early success because if you get yourself a you know a tight bench shirt and you can't touch a weight and you want to touch a weight because you want to have something successful. And now you spend five weeks spinning your wheels, that frustration might burn you out. But if you get yourself in a looser bench shirt, two things are going to happen. You're going to have a better chance of success, touching and pressing. Mm -hmm. And then also a lot of people don't realize that like learning how to optimize and get more out of loose gear, that skill carries over to tight gear. Mm -hmm. Like learning how to make a loose shirt tight is not necessarily tighter, but like, learning how to scoop the collar and how to you know, push your elbows out to get the most out of loose gear, those same lessons will help you get more out of tight gear, and they're a hell of a lot easier to learn 
when you're in something looser. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, we often see the question. I don't know if you're in the multiply powerlifting Facebook group, Bob, <laughs> but you know, I am. Uh, there'll be a lot of questions in there. And I, and I know that Barzine, your training partner, mm-hmm. uh, Bain has often said, it doesn't really matter if it's single ply multiply. It's more of, you should get something that's a little bit looser and broken in to your point, Bob, mm-hmm. something yeah. used, something broken in something looser is going to be better for a learning experience for somebody new to it versus, you know, going and, you know, bam, right into a tight overkill triple ply. It's like, <laughs> it's just, Yikes. that's just going to be too, that's just going to be too much for a beginner. I feel like. Yeah. And you can't, you can't buy yourself a total because you can't just buy the best gear and get yourself a total because if you could, there'd be a lot of people with, with bigger totals. So yeah, you got to spend some time in that older gear learning how to use it before it's time to start investing anyway. How about you, Mr. Bain? Uh, so, so yeah, so for the ply curious, I mean, hey, just like, you know, come over. The water's warm. It's definitely not RP. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, but no, it's it, I agree with all this. Is it, you know, try some of the gear out. Find people that have the stuff, and you can go, you know, try it with them, or if they can send it to you, you know, whatever. Because, again, uh, most folks that I know on, on the multiply side are very willing to, to share gear, try stuff out. Uh, or sell it to you cheap. I mean, yeah, I mean, very reasonable. I know, like, I, my first pair of Preds, I bought them for 100 bucks. Uh, once I got my overkills, I much preferred those personally. Uh, and I sold the predators a, a few months later. Just, uh, and all I told it was, it was, uh, Donnie, uh, Kenzie's boyfriend down in, uh, in Florida. And I'm like, Hey, this, I got a, I paid a hundred bucks for him. Just pay me that and pay the shipping and call it good. So, you know, wasn't, you know, we're not trying to get rich or anything like that. Cause we're not going to, but it was all we want to do is see people. And the, the other thing I would tell folks is be very open-minded. Because it is so different. I think like multiply culture is so much different than raw culture in that, again, you hear some people say, I want to have a big total. I want to see you have success with this. I mean, every Insta raw lifter, we'll go with that, has an ebook that you can buy for $9.99. Dave Kirchin crowdsourced through his 20 years of experience as a, as, a, as a lifter. And then, I mean, I couldn't even tell you how many years of experience in lifting that author list had. And gives it away for free. And is worth way more than most of those raw lifters ebooks, I can tell you that. I mean, exactly. I mean, you've got everything from how to start planning out, how to find the gear, what the pluses and minuses of the gear are, training cycles, uh, all these different ancillary things you would never think about. And because, again, that is the di- – so, and I think that, to be fair, does wig some people out, like, because yeah. of that dichotomy. And so – that, that's the other piece of advice to give is open your mind to this and be very willing to, to what Bob said, to listen. Um, because, again, that it, it's, it behooves you to take the advice of those that have already fucked a lot of things up. And there's a great article in that book about transitioning from raw to equipped. I love the guy who wrote it. Yeah, I, I would touch his beard all day. <laughs> all day. All day. Yeah, I mean, I, I would echo what you guys have said. I think uh, find used gear, try that first. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you posted online recently, Bob, just like just a plethora of gear just sitting in your basement. <laughs> and the best part was that was literally just my like active personal use. That wasn't like the bins. That wasn't like off the shelves. That was just like stuff that I play around in currently. Who, who, so who's like, got more, Bob or Greg Damaga? I have to imagine Greg Damaga has more. I mean, I, like I hear about the. I mean, Greg Damaga has like he might have more inventory currently than Enzo Titan. Jesus. 
I mean, <laughs> like anybody posts anything on like powerlifting gear classified, like, hey, I'm looking for gear for an X size lister. He's like, well, what kind do you want? I've got this, this, and this. Yep. I mean, I think Greg Damaga, he's just got. My, my favorite is when he goes, I can never find anything for someone who's six foot eight and 350 pounds. And he goes, actually, my son was, so here it is. Here's all I got. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Uh, he would be another good one to have on the podcast. We, Talk we, about we, this, Mr. Bain. We need to have them both on. Yeah, no doubt. So uh, the next one, you know, would you guys ever go back to competing raw? I mean, uh, Mr. Bain, I asked you a question, I think, almost every episode for six plus, six months straight. <laughs> I won't repeat it again go today. Ahead. Go ahead, fucker. <laughs> I'm not, no, I will not. Go ahead. I will not. But would you ever go back to competing raw? Yeah, because there's a number that needs to get ticked off the box. Okay. That, that's it? Just yes? Yes. Okay. How about, <laughs> that's, like, and, that, and that is all I want to do. I want to do one more raw meet at some point. Okay, so just one more, yep. basically. And, and get that 705. I will literally bench a plate and pull a plate and call it a fucking day. Well, you, at least the APF <laughs> rule book says no token left, so you better do more than that. Whatever, two plates. Fuck it. How about you, Bob? Uh, I was actually tra- – like I said, I've done – I've only done, uh, I think, a bench only and one full power. And the full power that I did, in fairness, I didn't train for. I just got up to a meet and was handling, and someone was running their mouth. <clears throat> one of the lifters. We we made a little we made a little bet. He was supposed <laughs> to do a. We were supposed the way it was supposed to work is I was going to do a raw meet, and a multiply meet, and he was going to do a raw meet and a multiply meet, and we were going to add our totals together. Mm-hmm. And that was supposed to be the winning of the bet. He never followed through on his end of the multiply meet, but so I just happened to be Bitch up there. made through. through that was my, and that's actually my biggest raw total. <laughs> like, nice. And let, let that be, a, let that be a lesson to the people who say like multiply will make you weak. I literally stopped training raw, hadn't taken a squat without briefs in, I couldn't tell you years, and then put weight on my squat. What I think is hilarious about those is say, oh, multiply makes you weak. I mean, do you understand? All we do in this training is extreme overload with this gear. Like, I don't think people truly understand that, that it's just extreme overload. And if you're actually doing it right, like, the carryover to your raw list is tremendous. It's going to happen. Yeah. uh, But whatever, you know, they they know better. There is, there is still a number like, uh, like, like Mr. Bain has, uh, there is still a number that haunts me. And it's the fact that I've never benched over 500 raw. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a couple reasons for that. So I'm sure at some point, you know, I'll be handling someone and decide, like I'm known to do, to jump into that meet if I'm feeling good that day, and do at least a raw bench only. I wouldn't rule out me doing another. I mean, Bobby, just want to coordinate it. We'll do these final raw meets together. I'll get my 705s. We'll get your 500, and we'll just call it a day. Yeah, we could do that. Although I might still want to get one big raw total. I, I toy with the idea sometimes, but right now, like all I've got is I've been like singularly focused. I've got to knock out this. I want to total 28 10. So mm-hmm. that's like I'm, I will say I will not do a raw meet before that goal has been accomplished. And okay. I'm not doing one until I at least qualify for the WPO. So there you go. There we go. So it sounds like you both, well, I know you, Bob, have used like pretty much every <laughs> piece of gear under the sun. Um, Bane, you probably a little bit less, but you know, let's start with you, Bane, since you've got a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the favorite gear you've used so far? And of what you've used, what are the pluses and minuses? Uh I don't think I've had a pair or any gear that I haven't liked per se. The first pair of overkill briefs that I had was was given me by Sean Coblin. They just, they just were too small. Like we just we could not get them on. But they were made for somebody else, correct? Right. But Sean and I have very similar measurements. Huh. 
Um, I mean, if there's one thing about overkills, he makes his gear fucking tight sometimes. Yeah. So, so I have I have a, a way that I work with Rudy on that, and and the first pair of long leg briefs that he gave me. So I have two pairs of briefs. One is a very short leg. One is much longer. Those briefs are just. I mean, both briefs are awesome, but those long leg overkill briefs are by far my favorite. Uh, I like them more than the Predators I had. I like them more than the uh, Cup Franz briefs that you guys uh, let me try out. It, by far my favorite of all time, uh, th- thus far. Um, I mean, I've only used a uh, an LUP, so that's kind of only the you know symbol size that I have. I've used an Overkill bench shirt. I've used an SDP. Uh, I've tried a metal bench shirt. Uh, my SDP, my SDP is uh, great. I actually probably like the black SDP the best uh, that I've used. Uh, the overkill shirt. I did feel like my humerus was going to snap when I was. Uh, Gosh, it's just the, the arms are just so tight. Yeah, just the. It, I mean, the first time I put the arms were four ply, and it took Steve Brock and Bill Lee pulling on that with the uh, the slicker to get that over my elbow. And and just yeah, that was that was nasty. I got one bench into a foreboard and like take this fucking thing off me. <laughs> But, but again, that, that one was not built for me. So, you know, there's certainly the opportunity that that would, uh, would change with a shirt that was actually built for me. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, all, all overkill gear is custom. So. It, it is. It is. So. How about you, Bob? You've got a, a plethora of different gear you've used. Well, we, could, we could do a whole episode on just that. So I'll just get <laughs> right. some of the highlights. I, just <laughs> highlights, I guess. Uh, I love, always loved Inzer Predators. I've had everything from the standard two-ply to, um, to five-ply that I had Ginny make for me. So they're kind of like a custom thing. Jesus, um, yikes! Everything, everything under the sun. Yeah. So there's, there's that. Loved them. Although I would give the edge on briefs to the uh, the Titan, you know, Super Boss briefs that oh, I want okay. them. And now uh, I really like those. I like the angle of the leg. They're a little ha- bit hashtag shorter. Hashtag sponsored life. <laughs> no, I believe it, believe it or not, I uh, I am no longer sponsored by Titan. My year ran out, and uh, I have nothing bad to say about them. Like, yeah. I still have a good relationship. It was just like the deal was for a year. I. It was more like the idea of being sponsored that I didn't really love and like knowing that I couldn't use other things. Right. Uh, definitely cool to try, and they were awesome to me. Um, but I'm still sticking with them, so there, that's, that's a nice plug. I don't have to, and yet I am. Uh, so I so basically, only with your gear do you want the open relationship. There you go, yes. Perfect. Uh, so love those briefs. Uh, overkill briefs I didn't really like. Uh, for a couple different reasons, I just never could get the leg angle right. Mm-hmm. Um, he was willing to he'll he'll work with you so you can get it right. Mm-hmm. I just never found the right fit to me. Uh, squat suits, I love my LUP. I probably would say that that's been my my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it's because I'm such an upright squatter, and I like the fact that I can adjust my torso. Uh, mm-hmm. The one is, the one issue that I have with a lot of squat suits is the fact that I only have like a 35 inch waist. Like it's I'm small. I wear 36 inch jeans, and uh, my legs don't really they're much larger so mm-hmm. if you get me like a canvas i can never no matter what get like a great fit mm-hmm. in like an og canvas whether it be like a, an overkill suit or whatever so the one advantage that the lup has over all of those is i can get in it and I just crank that down and actually feel like i have a tight suit on hmm. um now i've heard and i've almost experienced it when i was a little chunkier um like one of my bigger squats i squatted 1150 in a canvas when it was fitting well and i think if i could get that to fit me perfectly mm-hmm. just in terms of support that would probably be better but how i'm built i get more out of the lup um bench shirts the beauty of the sdp is that anyone can use it i feel like it's a very easy to learn shirt um it's a forgiving groove that is probably like what i would advise a lot of beginners who might be apply curious to try 
Um, a, a two ply SDP is what I would recommend. Yeah, and a used and one at that, a broken yeah. in one. Oh, yeah. definitely, definitely, definitely a used and broken in one. But just because there's you know so many different ways to use it, you can touch high, you can touch low. You mm -hmm. know, it's if you're patient, you can touch anything. Um, obviously, if it's looser, and you know, you you can also make them tighter and, and give yourself some problems. But for the most part, they're easy to manipulate, which I like. Uh, Titan shirts were, were good for me. I had some success in those. Definitely a smaller margin of error. Mm -hmm. um, same thing with like Overkill. Overkill's awesome. If there was a one board competition, that would be my shirt. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, could bring, I could bring a lot more down to a one board or even a half board, but that like last little bit, like you said, they're tight. And, uh, and when people who make them work, really make them work. So it's not something I would say don't try because you see Matt Manuth benching one, and you're like, oh, that's how you're supposed to do that. Cool. Yep. So... So Danny, Danny's the same way. So uh, two, like two athletic freaks there. Yeah, I mean. yeah, like, yeah. Did you use the the new red or the old red overkill, Bob? Or have you in, both? in all of these in all of these shirts, I can tell you in the overkill, I've used the old black, the new black, the old red, and the new red. And with SDPs, I've tried everything from like the old old black to the old black to the blue to the purple. Like it's that's another thing about multi black gear. Yep. Is uh, when it changes, like it's not all the same. So. If you find something you like, stock up because it might not be there anymore. Yep. Um, and as far as as far as deadlifting goes, I think I am going back to and I am sticking true to pulling in a canvas because all my best pulls have been in a canvas. And what I don't like about squatting in a canvas, I love about deadlifting in a canvas is hmm. it fits me tight. It fits me tight in the hips, but it's loose on the torso, mm. so I can still get in good position. So it's basically tight hips and just a strap. So it's I love that, and that's where I pull my best. That's where I pulled my biggest deadlifts in. I got away from it for a little while because it does require a little bit of patience to get the right position. Sure. Um, but but when I can get that to hit right, it's it's unbeatable. So I like that. Okay. How about wraps for you guys? Uh, so I've actually only ever competed and really only ever trained in my uh, in my answers. I have had my knees wrapped a couple times in the overkill wraps. I love the uh, the spring of those, uh, but for me, I just have not gotten used to just the, the the difference in that caster wrap versus that flexible wrap. That is the difference in, in the insert grippers and the uh, and the overkill. No, do you have the grippers or the atomics? Atomics. Okay, got which are basically four a extra grippers, basically. four layers yeah. of or not four lines of rubber the, versus the, the gorilla grip versus the regular grip. Yeah, right. Exactly. How about you, Bob? I'm sure you've probably tried every wrap under the sun. I could send you a picture of my knee wraps and it would look a lot like that picture of that gear. When I was Perfect. raw, I felt like wraps made much more of a difference. Okay. Um, I liked the, it was a company power belly that was around a while back and they made what I consider to be the best wraps. They had these very cast, like very thick wraps called King Kongs. Uh, most of my squats early on, I hit with those. I do like a thicker cast wrap. And I don't like it to be on crazy tight. Um, hmm. Most most of the time in multiplex, I feel like I, the wrap is like less important in multiply, and I don't want it to be like so tight that it's just one more thing that sort of inhibits me from moving the way that I want to move. I am kind of learning, and it was from being sponsored by Titan when I switched over to those THPs. Mm -hmm. but those I had to wear tight in order to get that cast like feel. Um, and I'm getting called out by my training partners because I went back to the King Kongs and they're like, you know, you squatted better in those THPs. I'm like, yeah, but they're uncomfortable. And my buddy Alex was like, oh, do you want to be comfortable or do you want to squat 12? <laughs> and I'm like, ah. and this is, this is why you need good training partners. Cause like, yeah, I needed, I needed to hear that. And I was like, fuck, okay. Well played. 
uh, wrap me tighter. Yep. And uh, and there you go. So. Have you tried the overkill wraps before? The overkill wraps and it's not. I just they're like when they're on the way that my guys put them on, I feel like I'm like I can't. Like, I can't get comfortable. I can't hit position. I know a lot of guys love them. Most of my guys use them. Yep, sure. I just, something something about the texture of those, I feel like they're going to cut my damn legs off. I know yeah. I sound like a big baby, but uh, <clears throat> but I just I just can't get used to squatting in them. I gave them a fair shake, though. I tried them a bunch of times. So right now, it's between either those THPs, but it doesn't really matter. It's more how I get wrapped. If they crank a stretchy wrap on me and make it like a cast. I do. I do pretty well. We also get wrapped standing up, which I think is fairly unique. I, I've wow. never, I've literally never seen that before. And I've been to a lot of multiply yep. meets before. Yep. I saw you guys in the, you and Magnavita getting wrapped, like standing up. And I was like, that is, I love it. <laughs> I, I, I dig my foot into the ground and I twist like I'm opening into a squat and I flex and I have them wrap me like that. And I feel like I'm halfway there when I start squatting. There you okay. Go. Well, hey, whatever works. I mean, because yeah. usually you see like the traditional style where you're kind of sitting on the edge of the chair and your foot's on the ground. Um, you certainly see the style where you know their foot is on a another chair and like mm-hmm. the person's yep. kind of hovering over them. That's that's certainly popular. Um, that's the first standing wrapping. Yeah, I've seen. I can't take I can't take credit for it. I saw Belafonte doing it one time when I went to train out in Bergen County, like mm. before I was even equipped, and I saw that. I'm like, that is truly lazy. And then I switched to multiply, and I'm like, man, it's hard to get up from this chair. Remember <laughs> what I saw him doing. And then I started doing it, and then all the guys started doing it. And then I feel like we kind of perfected it a little bit. Now there's a little bit more to it than just standing there. But, but yeah, I love it. Okay. So, so it's an East Coast thing. Got it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, why do you guys think equipped lifting gets so much hate? Why do raw lifters even care? I'm going to start That's with really Bob. <laughs> I'm going to start with Bob since he was a raw lifter hater. Yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of times, uh, throw me under the bus there, uh, people hate what they don't understand. Uh, mm-hmm. And that that is, it's not like fear of it, but it's like, oh, and you do look ridiculous. I mean, let's face it, we walk out there with our arms all cranked up and waddling when we squat. You look a little crazy. Um, but I think they just don't understand it, and it's just easier to talk trash than it is to try it because none of them want to try it. And I get, like, well, what does it matter what you can lift like that? It's like, well, it matters because this is how I compete. <laughs> like, yep. I want to lift the most weight possible, and I kind of am a glutton for punishment. Also, like, I like the chess match. I like the struggle. The thing I love about equipped is, like, hey, I missed my opener, but I can add 50 pounds and get it if I know what I did wrong. And I think that's something that they don't understand. It's like, well, then your shirt's just working better. It's like, well, not really. I'm manipulating the equipment differently. And I know that people have used this analogy. I always use it, but like it's pole vault and the high jump. You are literally performing the same exact objective, but you're just not using the same equipment. And I think it, it's something that they look at that, don't understand it and assume that it's wrong because it's not their way. And I was definitely one of those guys. Like, But then once I tried it and realized this is not easy, this is something that is challenging and uh, – you know, I think it's just easier to hate than to try it. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Bain? So, I love that answer, Bob. And it's very politically correct. And <laughs> it's wonderful. I'm going to go a different route. Okay. It's because they're bitch-made. It's because they're complete <laughs> pieces of shit. And these people know they're pieces of shit. That's why they train alone. The only time that they train together is when they all get together, they touch their dicks and do a little docking, and then they go do their fucking lifts. These people will be out of the sport in five years, and they can go fuck themselves. That's why they hate so much, because they know that they are temporary. 
aggressive. Very spicy today. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what I said? Didn't you read between the lines? It's ex- I, I was just translating yeah. for everybody. That's what I, I was felt doing. Like that's what I, I felt like that's what I said. I, I, I'm just, they you know what? Coplin's Co- rubbing off on me a little bit. Maybe, you know, maybe a couple different ways. Five, but... They got to do a couple meets and then sell their ebooks and DM for training. You know that. I mean, they, they can DM for training even before the meet. Like they're signed up for it. So basically, <laughs> they're a coach. But but yeah. no, like so I say that half tongue in cheek. Like don't get me wrong. Like I do think there's plenty of raw lifters that are bitch made and that are pieces of shit. And I would have no problem slapping the shit out of them if they were ever either had the balls to come to a multiply meet or happen to run into them at a meet that I attend. All that said, I agree that it's it is ignorance. And really, what it comes down to is it is a fear of. Once, and this is a young person thing, once they've said something, and then if they have to backtrack, that is not something any of them are used to. And so that is something that they are, so they will double down on all that. Now, what I think is interesting is I'm starting to see, A, a lot of raw lifters starting to get hurt, so they're not competing as much. And they're starting to question, like, oh, wait, how, how can I come back? Then I'm also seeing a lot of raw lifters that are making the transition over. I think of somebody like Anthony Hobaika, who has had a very successful transfer over. Yeah. And a lot of his, a lot of these elite raw guys are going, holy shit, dude. Like, you're still strong as hell raw. You're, you mean, you finished second at the WPO. Like, there's no que- question that the guy's good equipped. And you see some of these elite guys going, well, maybe it's not the craziest thing on the planet. And so I think really what it comes down to is this ignorance and it's, they just haven't had it come close to them yet. And now that it's starting to, because equipped is making a, a swing back that now there's also those that are doubling down because they're just scared. Like shit. What if I was wrong? Well, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of big mad raw lifters when the WPO was on uh, ESPN three, the comment section is always, it was always great to read through and we get to oh, hear yeah. about how high we squat and things like that. But <clears> a lot of it is, it's just, it's different movements too. And they think they look at it. It's like, well, I squat deep. It's like, well, you know, you squat narrow. <laughs> it's like, so I but, think, but I think yeah. a lot of the criticisms aren't even warranted because they don't understand even biomechanics the that we're performing the biomechanics. Yeah. It's like, if you sit in a chair, you're going to get the parallel faster. If you're, you're standing wide, if you're got your feet close together and you squat like the quads, like Rob guy, I don't know if you know who he is, but yeah. people used to always like brag on his depth. I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen him do a squat. Well, he so like folds over. Yeah, exactly. And and I, I've explained that. And, you know, we've had some controversy here at 2XL about that. Uh, but really what it comes down to is that, you know, why do they care? It's because what they care about is when the layman asks them, well, how come this guy over here has a 3,100-pound total or this guy, Bob, has a 2,700-pound total, almost 2,800 pounds, or this dipshit in the blue elbow sleeves can total 2,100 with you know no problem, but you guys are only at 1,800, 1,900. What the hell? And really what yeah, you're... are very insecure. I'm not right about that. If I had a dollar for every time, like a student, you know, because my students follow me and this, that, and the other, yeah. and they'll, they'll tell me, my dad says you're a cheater and you can't really lift that. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> did you see the he, video? Because I literally he did. Said he, looked, he said he looked you up and he watched your video and you're wearing this, that, and the other. And I'm like, I am. I was competing in equipped meat. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you fall a little bit further down that YouTube hole, I'm also strong without my magic shirt. Uh, but also, uh, that's a weird comment to get coming from your dad. Like, so it's, yeah. and, it's definitely like a weird insecurity in people where they want to compare themselves. But it's like, we're not trying to have a dick measuring contest. I'm not going and telling people I bench 1,000 pounds for all. I bench it in one of the goofy band shirts. Like, it's right. different. But, and, and you know, one of the comments I have to that is to, you know, the dad saying, oh, he's cheating. Well, yeah, are you going to bring your Ford Taurus to a drag strip? Of course not. <laughs> of course not. Dumbass. 
well, and, and, and along that same token, there's one particular raw lifter who said he's not going to stop until multiply is dead. And it's like, I, I just, it, my mind can't even wrap it around. Like as a guy who used to lift at a multiply gym too, my I, favorite part of that. I, I just don't even understand why you care that much about how other people lift weights. Like sure. Promote raw lifting as much as you want. I'm just not sure why you care why there's a subsect of a, lifters that want to lift in canvas squat suit and poly bench shirts. Like, what is it doing to you that you think I need? We need to eliminate it from powerlifting. What effect is it having on you? I, I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> they should study their history books though, because it, 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 without it, there'd be no powerlifting. So no, 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 no. You see, powerlifting didn't start before two thousand, right? Yeah, because uh, so this before is like then. this is like the nineteen eighty four version of powerlifting. Yes, you just yeah, say it's right. true enough, and then it will be true. All right, exactly, exactly. Sounds so, like but, some Garrett. Sounds like some Garrett Fear stuff. <laughs> small sorry. dick energy is what that is sorry we don't we don't mention him on here sir yeah we don't we'll oh i'm out. sorry you can you can bleep me out oh yeah. no that's okay oh no well, i trust no, me no it'll, it'll get back to him and then they'll stalk our page and they stalk my wife's page and put weird comments on uh, on our photos yikes <laughs> uh anything else to uh, what, what's been going on i mean i will encourage everyone to listen to our first interview with bob where he kind of talks about his full history of lifting yeah but what else has been going on with you bob it sounds like you're uh you're, you're aiming for a big total. Um, what's your next meet? What's been going on with you? Um, how how much longer is your beard right now? Yeah, we got we got to measure soon. It's, it's definitely longer, definitely grayer. Um, so we came through 2021. It was a not my best year in terms of lifting. I did some cool stuff. I still uh, still had some decent meets and mm-hmm. all. Had a good meet out in Lake Erie. Competed a little bit less because of COVID. Mm-hmm. All sure. the restrictions with my work and being in New Jersey, COVID is still very much like very much making my life difficult as I have all the restrictions and the masks. At yeah, work, which you you guys are still playing pandemic, right? Oh, we're still playing. Wait pandemic. till Memorial day. It's, yeah. it's yeah. They, they closed the school for three days, open it back up. We have some people it's, it's, I couldn't even get into the details of that, but it's definitely like frustrating yep. sure. for my life. So I decided after the WPO, cause I went into that kind of lip and I hurt my hip on that thousand pound bench press. Yep. And, uh, you you see what happens when you have a hurt hip and instability on the squat, and you have to take a nosedive and get saved by your guardian angel, uh, <laughs> the, the Zerk, the Zercher swatting, the Zercher King, we call him, <laughs> Zercher King, eleven hundred, eleven oh two, Zercher three sixteen. Yeah, but like all things, I tried to make it like turn it into a positive, so I sort of like adjusted my training, and I decided like I was going to really singularly focus on you know getting that 2810 total that I have had my eyes on and mm-hmm. I switched some things up. I talked to Anna. I, I learned how to box squat appropriately, mm-hmm. like a real, like a real box squat. I started doing speed work. I, speed. I stopped going. That's it. I stopped going so heavy so often. And, uh, I started, dare I say it, training a little bit more intelligently and, uh, lo and behold, those people that have been telling me that for the last, you know, five, six years, there was some truth to it. And uh, and I've been having some success. So knock on wood, uh, I have a meet in March mm-hmm. out at Rita West Gym. It's actually the same day as the uh, WPO bench, which is unfortunate. But uh, Rita is my person. She's like one of my role models, and she's mm-hmm. one of the people who first told me like, "Stop screwing around and be good. You're wasting your talent." Yep. Which coming from Rita, that's a compliment. Like that's meant to be. Absolutely. That's just how she. That's how she talks to you. Uh, so I wanted to do this meet because if I could choose where I would like the total that. I would like to total it there because if she lets me have it, I know it's good. Right. Okay. So, uh, so awesome. that's that's the goal, and that's where we're headed. And then I guess all eyes will be on after that a couple of bench meets and maybe the WPO. 
Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we haven't heard anything about the WPO. Well, we haven't heard anything official about the WPO. Yeah, yeah. See, nothing, nothing official yet. Yeah, we've heard a few yeah. things, and uh, certainly... Wayne's talked to me a little. There's some cool stuff that I've heard, so I'm just going to keep my ear to the ground and hope that a lot of it comes true. Yep. Amen. Yeah. Well, Bob, uh, thank you for taking so much time to talk with us. I think you've definitely uh, given the listeners some, some good knowledge, and again, we've got a lot of listeners that are interested in equip lifting and, uh, you know... Would are ply curious, so I think you <laughs> you guys have both given some good info on if they'd like to transition. Yes, yes, that's it. And and I was told specifically, Bob, by a couple people to to say uh, thank you for just being you. One of the things that people love about Bob is that uh, if you don't know him, is that he's always so nice, he's so kind, uh, so welcoming to anybody, whether they just approach him, uh, you know, it, talking about training, talking about gear, and so you know, uh, yes, the community, but Bob uh, even within the community, you are one of the shining stars for that. And so uh, some folks wanted me to tell you that, but also I want to tell you that because I, I consider you one of uh, one of my favorite listeners, one of my favorite people of all time. So to, uh, we really appreciate you coming on, bud. I do really appreciate that. And I was just going to say sort of before you said that, like to those raw curious or gear curious, fly curious lifters who might be listening, like feel free to shoot me a message on you know Instagram or Facebook. I, I have no problem. I kind of like – I like watching and breaking down new lifters sure. uh, as they sort of go through that adventure because Bob, it's a Bob thing that I think is important. <laughs> yeah, I like to watch. <laughs> uh, I think it's important though when you're like you're trying to be better. One of the things that we miss a lot of times is better lifters is like the basics. Mm-hmm. So I always have at least one new lifter in our rotation. I'm looking for one right now to come here because as you are coaching up the basics, there's so many cues that you just tend to like skip over and forget. Yep. So a lot of times for me, it's 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 not that I'm not trying to be nice, but like if I'm helping you retool your squat i'm also retraining myself to like mm-hmm. remember my shin angle and remember not mm-hmm. to stand too wide and all the little cues that i sometimes get away from as i try and attempt like to squat bigger weights and you know accomplish bigger totals it's it's nice to constantly intentionally be reminded of sort of the little things that you sometimes can look over because you're in such a hurry to do the the more complicated more technical things yep. sure amen sure. amen well thanks so much bob and happy birthday Hey, thank you so much. All right, Mr. Bain, there was Mr. Bob Merck. Always a good time with Bob. I would say a very uh, informative uh, interview discussion. Um, You know, I liked a lot of the stuff that both of you two talked about. Um, You know, Bob is a guy that I think competed raw at a pretty high level. Mm -hmm. And obviously now is competing equipped at a pretty high level. Yep. And I think... You know, he was, as he said, one of those raw lifters that maybe was a little bit critical of equipped lifting. And yeah. then when he gave it a try, I don't think you ever were, were really super critical of equipped lifting. No, I thought it was dope as shit. Yeah. I, I, and uh, again, that's all I ever did. I mean, in, from my first meet, to be fair, I wasn't jumping in a canvas squat suit adventure, but I saw it at my first meet and it never was like, oh gosh, why are those guys doing that? I, same as you. I was like, that's just what you do. And I thought it was cool. And I was like, I can't wait until I can get in some of that stuff myself. I, I always like I think about it now, and I always kind of go back to, and I understand that no one cares about soccer, but there are different versions. You have like you know full full side association football, which is you know eleven aside, so everybody you know sees outdoor soccer, and then you have you know indoor soccer, or you have futsal, which is a, is a little different animal, um, and then you've got uh, beach soccer, and all these different kind of iterations. And there are elite athletes that play all of these, and just not all of them are going to do. Uh, 
you know, full side uh, soccer. But listen, like if you can, in this case, they're pro athletes, you can make a living doing it. You uh, can celebrate your sport and you can still respect the fact that like, hey, I'm an awesome beach soccer player. It's a different skill set to do that than it is to play futsal or to play indoor soccer or to play, uh, you know, full full side 11s. And they're all similar. They're all using a soccer ball. You're all kicking it with your foot, but uh, but not necessarily a soccer ball. A futsal is different than a soccer ball. Oh, okay. but, but but still, it, it, it's it a is, ball. It is. But just like with powerlifting, where it's like, yeah, maybe you have a squat suit on or a bench shirt, but like it's weights, it's a bar, and it's the movements. All those things are the same. Yeah. No. I mean, I I think it's to me. I, we talked about it in the interview in our discussion with Bob Merck. Like, I don't understand why you care how other people participate in their hobby. Well, I think well, I, I think I made it pretty clear how I felt about it. Well, yeah, I, I guess I just, I guess I don't get where that thought process comes from. I don't get it. Agreed. Um, why do you care? And, and Honestly, ask your, if someone is so mad that a bunch of dudes and girls want to put on a, you know, a canvas squad suit and a... Listen, I want to put on a big po- diaper and, and... Polyester bench shirt. Yeah. I mean, hey, I, I, it, we have talked about the band Shirts. Mm-hmm. In a couple of different episodes, I really don't care. Like, if people want to do it, fine. I do think there is the plausibility of some consequences of that, and that's that's more of me thinking about it from a safety and from a uh, a, a, know, a liability standpoint. Yeah, exactly. um, and you maybe could raise some of those same concerns with Equip, but I think there's a body of evidence that shows that even with the extreme version of Multiply, with the right Conditions still very, very safe as far as sports go. Superior spotting. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> Mr. Bain, um, next week we're going to extend this similar topic. I mean, we talked about including your discussion with, uh, with, Sean. Yep. with Sean in this episode um, and talking about uh, the topic of, you know, basically, is it fair to ask raw lifters what their equip numbers are? I don't mm. know how we're going to phrase that exactly for our title, but... Uh, you know, that's the basically the top. What can you do? Right. What can you do? And is that fair? Is that uh, divisive? That's what I love about it. Is that it, it was specifically stated that the, the question was divisive to Sean. Uh, yeah. And I don't, I think you know the answer to both of us, but I'll be interested to hear what the feedback you got. Yeah. Um, and maybe we could put it on the strength and anger page as well and, yeah. and maybe get. It'd, it'd be good to, to get that. But, I mean, yeah, I said I, I had equipped lifters, raw lifters. I mean, many equipped lifters said, no, it's completely un, unreasonable to ask that question because, and in some cases, like, because they're too stupid to know the answer. I'm like, true, I would say more ignorant. They just don't know what they don't know. But Sure. Um, you know, we are still looking uh, in the future to do our USAPL timeline. I'm still, I, I, I mean, I, I know, we do have the video now, mm-hmm. So, but I've, I kind of would like to see the minutes just to see how the IPF writes it out, and that to date has not been posted online. Um, I, I'm because reading my being quote unquote reviewed. Yeah, I've got my my textbook on anabolics. Um, <laughs> if you're ever interested on you know a little bit, even even both type of lifters, uh, I recommend looking up the Reddit post by one Mr. Chris Duffin. And I only say that because it's been posted publicly, so it's not like I'm spilling information. That's a big yikes. I, I mean. <laughs> Wow, is all I can say. If if you've never read that post, have a read, and I wonder how that'll match up with him. Which when I go through this anabolics book, um, Peter Royo, you're still on our on the docket for the future, and a few other interviews. Um, if you do enjoy the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Leave us feedback on our Instagram account, 
And again, maybe we'll drop that same question that you dropped in your uh, in your. Did you do that in your story? I did it in the story. Yes. Okay. Yes. So may, I don't know even know if I know exactly how to do that on the Instagrams. So maybe you could show me, Mr. Bain. I'll have the young people help you out. Yeah, I'll ask my son if he knows how to do that. <laughs> if you have any questions, <laughs> he's maybe a little young. I'd probably want to ask your daughter or one of your yeah, one, see, of, little, little one of your sons. Yeah. Um, we, we did get two new reviews on the uh, on the podcast on Apple. Okay, what do they say? Uh, we got from one Johnny Dolphin uh, that when it comes to quality and depth of powerlifting information, this podcast is the highest echelon. Not only are the current and developing powerlifting topics trends discussed, but also historical ones. In a comparative context of these two things, these guys are second to none. The Don soundboard is also perfect. And, oh, I, well, thank you. What's that person's name? Uh, at Johnny Dolphin on, oh. on Apple. I don't know if that's necessarily oh, the Well, Johnny handle, Dolphin, but. I appreciate that review. And then from Sam Stu, I believe this is uh, Samuel Stewart, fantastic podcast, big fan over here in South Bend, Indiana. Okay, and not, ter- not terribly far away. Nah, definitely, definitely. So leave us a leave us a review like that. We do appreciate. It. Maybe we'll, if we if you see any new reviews, Mister Bainbull, we will read them on the air. Yep, I literally just literally just pull it up right now. So Perfect. I'll read them. Uh, you can check out our merch store. The link tree is in our bios. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we had someone uh, post their Midwest Side shirt this week. Certainly post that. Post the strength and anger. Uh, nobody cares about soccer shirts. Yes, please. I got this at the Lombard meet. And you know what's funny? If you, especially wrong. if you wear that, yeah, the wrong shirt. If you wear the nobody cares about soccer shirt, that does typically get a reaction. It's a lot of reactions. Because there's a lot of soccer moms out there. <laughs> I care about soccer. I no care one, about little Timmy soccer. And no one fucking cares about you, Karan. <laughs> also, sp- speaking of that, uh, my wife sent me this because I, I found this hilarious. So the... Uh, uh, QAnon shaman from the January 6th incident in uh, yikes yeah. he has been named by some uh, Native American tribes as Dances with Karens wow I, I almost spat my drink out when Nick showed me that one yikes <laughs> oh, with that Mr. Bain I'd say let's end this episode before we go too far off the rails this sounds is, great this is Eric Stone signing out strength and anger <laughs>